When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, can. people really just want an echo chamber. Like as much as they complain about the other side's echo chamber, yeah, it's not fun to like be challenged and to have your values like- and your beliefs uh, critically attacked. Welcome, everybody. We're the COVID brothers. Up, <laughs> yeah, we went down. We got COVID nineteen. Yeah, so I went down first. Super spreader. Super strong. <laughs> I don't know where I got it. I was feeling ill. Was fairly certain it wasn't COVID, but obviously it was just like okay, it could be. And uh, well, you didn't feel that sick. I was in and out in three days. No yeah. rest, no respiratory so you were, anything. You weren't worried about it until I went down. Yeah, and then I went down hard. <laughs> and then Henry went down. Your brother. I got a test because you're uh, you're a conservative type. You're just like careful about things, and you you wanted to make sure. So I was like, all right, I'll tag along. It's very possible I gave it to you in the car on the way to get the <laughs> test. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, me, my brother, and you all got it. Dude, so uh, how was it for you? <laughs> it was a non-issue. It was yeah. three to five days. No, sorry. Three days of a cold, uh, lighter than the flu that I had last year. But then weird lingering things yep. like the taste stuff. I was eating sushi. I was like, this is trash. Dude, I thought my fruit went bad. Huge I thought, bummer for me. Yeah. Salmon tastes bad now still which is a pescatarian yeah it's not ideal so i still it's it's improved it hit a it hit a low point of like yeah fruits bad fish is bad like the only things that are solid are like pretzely grains that just have nothing dude for me everything tastes completely normal or better fruit tastes better uh. but salmon which was the main part of my diet complete completely uh unappetizing still yeah still interesting so well, mine is rebounded later. mine is rebounded some but uh, yeah, no, I still can. Uh, tastes are dull. Yeah, to force myself to eat it. That's besides funny. that. I had a hundred and five fever. Yeah, you had, you which was not ideal. Sick. I got really sick for like three days. I was like sweating and couldn't didn't sleep. My sleep thing for my aura ring is hilarious. I was waking up like twenty five times a night, yeah. sleeping in twenty minute increments. Then had like a normal cold for three days, and within ten days, completely fine. Yeah. So it was weird because I went down, but still like bounced back. Never had respiratory problems. Never lost uh, sense of smell. And didn't have a cough until every other symptom went away. And then when I was completely healthy, I developed like a weird hacking cough. I, after the three days, after three days of solidness, like probably days seven, eight, nine-ish, started noticing that my, I was at 90%. I, my breaths weren't filling me up as much as they could. I was still able, like we have a spot, I didn't go anywhere near people, but like in my parking spot in the garage, I was able to jump rope. And it was like, more tiring than oh, really? yeah but but still was able to do the same jump rope 
thing that I do. Weirdly, my stamina is better because I lost seven <laughs> pounds. So I just lost all this unnecessary muscle. Yeah. And so running and surfing is like way easier. The mm. one thing I don't know if you noticed, so I still had to walk my dog, even though I, like I was I was wearing N95 masks, yeah. legit like hospital masks because I don't want to get other people sick. But I couldn't stay quarantined because yeah. I had to walk my dog. When I was outside, I was so fight or flight hostile. Like people would walk past me and I would just been, imagine fighting them. I'd imagine if they like picked on my dog and I, dude, it was weird. It was really weird. And I never have that. Something about being sick. I think I felt my, I felt like more vulnerable maybe, mm. but I, it was very noticeable for days. That's not a symptom I've seen on the sheet. List. No, but I was just, it was just interesting. <laughs> I think like when, when I got in, in my brain, aggression. I was like, I'm vulnerable. Yeah. I had definitely a increased aggression and assessed everyone as if we were going to fight for like three days when I was walking my dog. It was very, very bizarre. That's, I don't know if you noticed any psychological no, impacts. not at all. Maybe that's what it feels like to be a, a woman on a in life, you know, just well, knowing that you're vulnerable. Because I'm like, I, I, I did an MMA fight for fun. You know, I mean, I've done all the, the fight stuff, but I'm very non-aggressive. Mm -hmm. And it was just yet another example of like, dude, that's just your brain chemistry. You can't possibly congratulate yourself for this. The fact mm -hmm. I've never started a bar fight or anything like that. And it's like, you didn't earn that. There's yeah. just a guy that when he gets six beers, his brain just tells him to punch things. Yeah, yeah. And like, I had that. I was at a point where if someone had had bumped me, I would have at least had an adrenaline spike. Um, yeah, no, I, I had... And then got healthy and it went away. My fight or flight returned to normal. It's imp I think it's useful to uh, have moments in your life where your internal brain chemistry goes awry so oh, that you, you can... Oh, you talk about empathize? when you went on yeah. those pills? Yeah, so I took... I was taking um, Propecia which is a hair loss thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, let's get out in front of this thing. <laughs> let's yeah, like, yeah. Let's do uh, <laughs> defense, defense. I got it. And I still was like, I was, I was noticing like some losing, some thinning. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get on Propecia. And uh, at the time I'd had a breakup two months earlier. was like recovering, but sad about it. And but fine, sleeping but fine, solid moving on. And I've, I've ruined the story now, but one night out of the middle of nowhere, I spend six hours tossing and turning recognizing that i've ruined my one opportunity with my true love i cannot sleep at all yeah. i i am just wrecked i mean i seriously get to 5 30 a.m before i get a lick of shut eye and i was in bed by like 9 30 p.m <laughs> i was so much more than six hours i was tossing and turning i was planning on i like had the text written in my phone i wrote everything i was like you can't send this yet but like Two more days of this and like, it's over. We're getting back together. I'll do anything. Yeah, yeah. You're basically like, this sucks so much that I will just go back to the bad relationship. Yes. And then somehow you realized it was because of the Propecia. Well, then I woke up in the morning and I was running late. I was tired. I was like, oh, I forgot to take my pill. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> so I didn't take the pill. Well, you were like, oh, my my hair is going to fall off. Yeah, my hair is going to fall off. I better take my Propecia. <laughs> and I didn't take the pill. And no joke, six hours later was fine. Yeah, it's crazy. Was, was like... Oh yeah, like that was a bummer of a breakup, and I'm I'm sad. Yeah, like, but not gonna get back together. No with way. Not gonna call her at five in the morning. Yeah, it gave me uh, it gave me empathy for PMS. It gave me empathy yeah. for a lot of that those uh, brain chemistry things. Sure. Because I think prior to that, I've have such positive, stable brain chemistry that I was like, if you're not looking on the bright side of things or just taking some deep breaths you're not doing what is necessary. Oh, yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but like Tony Robbins, who's someone that I learned a lot from, really credit him with a lot of my personal growth and success. Mm -hmm. So like thumbs up for that. But he uh, tells a story about Robin Williams and how he killed himself and how it's an example of what you focus on determines your happiness because he says Robin Williams had it all. Everyone loved him, super famous, money, 
but he focused on the wrong things. And so because of that, he was depressed and suicidal. Mm -hmm. And then they autopsied Robin Williams' brain, and it was basically eating itself yeah. because he had a disease that made it so that he felt the way he did, which was depressed and he suicidal. Was, he and couldn't remember like, his lines. He yeah, had dementia. Not, he was all over the place emotionally. because Robin Williams uh, hadn't, it hadn't occurred to him to, gra to have a gratitude journal. <laughs> it's because his brain destroyed itself because yeah. of a disease. And so when I found that out, I was like, oh, power of positive thinking is great. It'll help you wherever you are, but it doesn't guarantee you a mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 psyche. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It'll just improve you from where you are. But if your brain chemistry is a 3 out of 10, it's only going to take you to a 5 out of 10. And if you're at a 9 out of 10, it's foolish to like look down on people who are at a 4 out of 10 uh, mental health-wise as like not trying hard enough with personal development. Sure. Well, we've talked about, I mean, the ultimate privilege is being happy. That's just that's the yeah, old yeah, like yeah. forget if you've got no water no that like if you're happy being tortured what have you really got to come like yeah, yeah. so if your brain chemistry and your history and whatever you've encountered in this world has enabled you to be happy throughout a wide variety of circumstances you have the ultimate privilege yeah which uh, isn't to say you can't change your brain chemistry no through no tons of meditation or psychedelic use or something it's not like a hopeless thing but yeah definitely I think in terms of like oh check your privilege like. Yeah, if you have if you have good yeah. mental health because your brain chemistry is on point, mm -hmm. that's your biggest privilege. And I've, I use them all the time. But Avicii is the handsome, white, young, famous, yeah. rich, talented artist that had changed the world and and probably saved lives with his music and wound up killing himself after years of drug addiction. It's like we really need to rethink what privilege means when you can have everything yeah, yeah. and feel miserable. Um, and and hopefully we're getting closer. To that as as we get more insight into we talked about kim kardashian in the past we don't need to go into it but more insight into the lives of the people that seemingly have everything that for sure you this is like. just another example for me yeah. where my own brain chemistry shifted and i was like oh my god i'm so at the whims of whatever happens between my ears from a chemical mm. perspective yeah and covid changed something and i went from like cool calm collected long fuse to i'll kill you the guy that was just like all right there's five teenagers walking towards me. I'm going to elbow that one. Then I'm going to be four on one. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to breathe in his face and threaten yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah. yeah. All because my brain chemistry changed. Um, so we, uh, I'm moving along. I don't. I, this is a topic that I don't know how specific to be. But I've had several examples in the last handful of weeks since we've been on of just recognizing the screwy incentive structure of the world. Mm. Specifically, when it comes to giving advice that the incentives are towards sensationalism, uh, PR skill, looking good on a stage or on a YouTube video or whatever, and not towards telling the truth. Yeah. And so I saw this, and I think I can say this much. I spoke at Traffic and Conversion Summit. I think I did a good job. I've actually seen speakers there that I know have done a good job because they've helped me. I tuned into some speeches at this thing because it was a digital event. From other people. From other people that were worse than not learning about marketing <laughs> i swear to god yeah, I that they were they because they would set you in the wrong direction sure. and if you opened up that person's books i guarantee whatever method like that this particular individual was teaching i'm not going to call anyone's particular out is not where they make their money they make their money convincing other people that this particular method works yeah. and then workshopping coaching and well i'll give an example because <clears throat> my friend does drop shipping and so he saw some drop shipper who, who was claiming to make a million dollars a month or something a hundred thousand dollars a month whatever it was and so he was watching his video to try to figure out how to grow his own thing <laughs> yeah. and the guy shows his earnings and my friend paused the video and he looks at it and goes this guy makes 
no money on drop shipping and all his money teaching people how to drop ship. Mm-hmm. So I can learn nothing from him yeah, yeah. because I'm already making more from <laughs> drop shipping. The only thing I'm not doing is selling how to get rich to other people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just this huge thing where people who haven't done it will lie, manipulate data, make things look a certain yeah. way just and to convince you to pay them because it's really just a pyramid scheme. Yes. Coaches, coaching coaches, how to coach coaches, how to make money. Totally. And I know some of these people and they're not uh, especially unethical by any stretch because in knowing them, they believe that what they do works. Well, it's weird. It's almost cult-like in the sense that you get indoctrinated into the pyramid. Yeah. And then the guy above you is telling you that this is ethical, that this is great, that mm-hmm. anyone who, uh, it's kind of like white fragility. Like anyone who says <laughs> that this is bad is has limiting beliefs and is evil and is trying to hold you back and make you unsuccessful. And so they create a system where like- Booby trap defense mechanisms. You have yeah. to believe the guru. And anyone that says that the guru is bad or that what you're doing is bad because you're teaching people how to teach people how to teach people, you immediately ignore them because you've well, you been know, you know what word this cult. The word that uh, is that in success porn is uh, haters. Ignore yeah. the haters becomes the thing that you know, they can just be discounted, you know, entirely. Yeah. But go ahead. I just that's no, no, that's it. That's just my only point is like they know that people will be critical of the fact that it's a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And so instead of going, I'm going to start a business that's not a pyramid scheme, I'm going to start a business that sells bone broth or whatever it might be. They just go, well, I'm going to indoctrinate my clients so that they have mental cognitive dissonance anytime someone tells them it's a pyramid scheme. But even them, I think even them, you're kind of treating them as if there's a mastermind at the top. I think what you have all the way up is self-deception. I don't think you actually have like a pinnacle guy who's like, like all of these fools. No, it's it's self-deception all the way up. And as you get to the top, even they're clients are successful so they're like this shit works like 100 percent of the people i talk to on a daily basis are making money yeah um yes it's the that the incentive structure throughout the pyramid is to ignore the vast majority of people that don't get value that you know and say no the system works what's broken is the people well that's <laughs> the i mean i have a, i don't know if you want to hop around but i have a, another thing about incentives but the the key thing is to your point, it's not about evil people. It's about incentives. Mm-hmm. And with the right incentives, crazy shit happens. Like when I was making this police video, I found a guy. Uh, I don't want to get it wrong. Let me look into it. So there's a guy named Michael Morton who was convicted for murdering his wife. And 25 years later, it was re- he was released because of DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. It turns out the prosecutor hid the evidence because by winning the case, he won prosecutor of the year and it <laughs> launched him into a successful career. He got promoted, all this stuff. It reminded me of the Duke lacrosse rape case when the prosecutor hid evidence because he just really wanted these kids to get arrested yeah if you had an incentive system where a process and you shouldn't do this because it would break the the um judicial system but if you had a system where if you put a innocent person in jail you immediately get disbarred Mm -hmm. you would never (laughs) see anyone withhold evidence but when you set up a system where if you withhold evidence and win a case it launches your career it makes you rich and famous what you get is prosecutors withholding evidence from the mm-hmm. defense. So it's just like, yeah, these predictable incentive structures create behavior that nobody wants. And that's why I think like the most important thing for people to think about is what does this incentivize? So there's a hundred ways to think about this. But what's interesting, and you gave two cases, one guy who went to jail and the Duke lacrosse kids who obviously didn't. The way the system is supposed to work is you have a horribly biased prosecutor and a horribly biased defense attorney. Yep. And that with... All of the the uh, 
appeals and whatever available to them, that that will shake out to get you to the truth. Yeah. The problem is when you have a well-equipped prosecutor in this case and a garbage defense attorney because the person being uh, indicted is poor, right? Yep. The Duke Lacrosse kids walked and got a big settlement because they were not poor. Well, there's six of them. Yes. And they, and they got six people to pool their money yep. to get the best attorney they could. Yes. I don't know if this, this guy was just a random guy, just like a middle-class dude whose wife had gotten murdered. With an excellent attorney... I believe that Maybe, you're... Maybe, yeah. I mean, I guess OJ, OJ, no, well, we don't know who did anything, but yes. If he did it. If OJ did it, his lawyer was great. Uh, no, I think that's fair. Yeah, you don't... You're at the mercy of who's representing you and who's representing the other side. Sure. So, and so... Uh, but the point is, this wasn't just a great prosecutor. This was a prosecutor who purposefully and illegally withheld evidence. Mm -hmm. That's an incentives thing as well. Sure. You know what I mean? Because if the, if the defense had been playing against someone who wasn't cheating... They probably would have gotten the guy off of his conviction. Yeah. And so uh, this came to me, and I, I, I should call myself out first because we're not free from these same in incentives. So when we make YouTube videos, for instance, like my incentive is to come up with a structure of things that one could be benefited if they did in order to be more charismatic, which is probably causes me to focus too much on specific things. Like if my only goal were to make sure that the people who watch the videos became as charismatic as possible, it would look more like Charisma University, which mm. is fewer videos yeah, yeah. focused on a particular action. Charisma University has essentially 30 days, 20 minutes, and that's it. Like, it's less stuff than the YouTube channel. Which is hundreds of Which videos. is like more, more, more. Yeah, like the goal is to make each video good, but also just by having 300 unorganized videos, it's immediately less effective than a 30-day program yes, that's linear. Yes, and uh, I and incentivize, for instance, to make videos about the most popular people, whether or not those are the most charismatic. So we finally got around to Craig Ferguson and it finally did well. <laughs> yeah. But Craig is so much more charismatic and has so much more to be said about him than, than many of the people that yeah, I've covered totally. before him. Uh, so we, we are subject to this as well. And we um, try to resist the worst incentivization that we have, but still play into it. But this, this occurred to me again in watching YouTube. People who, uh, there's someone that I watched who did a breakdown of the income of YouTubers. And I looked and it was like 98% upvoted. And I happen to know, being a YouTuber, that the estimates were off by at least an order of magnitude, 10 times wrong. Mm. And I have yeah, reason. Like someone to making $9 million, they said that was making like $90 million. Yes. Uh, well, I, yeah, we don't, that's 10 times is the, is the point. Um, and I believe that this person with gun to their head, would get way closer to the truth because they have enough data mm. available to them. Mm. But which video is more interesting? How this person makes this much money or how this person makes 10 times well, saying, that much they, money? They say the person's name, right? So it's like if someone were to do a video yes. on us, they're like, oh, Charisma on, how Charisma on Command makes a million dollars. Yeah. How Charisma on Command makes $50 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's well, going to get more clicks? Of course. $50 million. Yes. It's not true. But, it's but not true at clicks. all. Yes. And, and it's like people who watch this will be led down the exact wrong path. They will think that sponsors pay thi this much money, which is 10 times more than sponsors pay, yeah, yeah. which will make their plans wrong by a factor of 10. Sure. And when I look back at the beginning of our business, I'll list out a couple. Like The amount of people telling us to guest post was oh, yeah. truly stunning. <laughs> Let me just go on the record and say, if you're not guest posting on Oprah Winfrey, Joe Rogan, or the Tim Ferriss Show, or the comparable thing in your niche, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is the worst thing that you can do. Why don't you build someone else's audience? Yeah. Like, it's, it's 
almost evil advice. <laughs> <laughs> and so many people were telling us, you got a guest post, man. Yeah. You got a guest post. That's not how they got big. <laughs> yeah, you know, they they got they had one massive person who broke them through, right? And yeah. then they say guest posting is what did it. It's like, no, that's not what you did by any stretch. Uh, and I, you know, I love Tony and we we've mentioned, but Tony Robbins' book on wealth has nothing about starting a business. It's got yeah, yeah. it like like Tony got rich from investing a hundred dollars a month since he was the age of just, twenty. Just for if people don't know, Tony Robbins is like worth half a billion dollars, and he did it by starting his own businesses and then angel investing in other businesses. Mm -hmm. If you buy his book on wealth, he talks about investing in low cost in ETF, mutual funds, mutual funds. <laughs> and that's just not how he made five hundred million dollars. Maybe it's how he went from four hundred and twenty million dollars <laughs> to five hundred million dollars. <laughs> but like you'd think that if you had to chart how Tony Robbins created wealth, it would be about creating a business that's successful and then seed funding other businesses because he now owns 10 businesses. I think he's, he, owns more, he owns more than 10. But the, and, and to his credit, he has a he talks about he has a business mastery course, which he sells, which I've seen and is good. And it's not that investing in mutual funds is a bad idea. It's just not how you master the game of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like talking about compound interest without talking about income is ludicrous. Yeah. No, and he, to your point, he has other stuff. His personal power too, audio programs. Amazing. Great. If amazing. you own a business, that program will help you grow your business. But it just wasn't in his book. Yes. So you, I see this... Uh, all the time, and and this Tony's example isn't even one of incentives because he didn't necessarily need money. Perhaps his interest was in like I'm trying to make a book for Joe Schmo who can't start a business because I know that 99% of businesses will fail. So maybe his even matched it. But you, there's at least two things happening here: people who have achieved success teaching courses on that do not reflect how they did it, mm -hmm. which is difficult. And this is the coaches coaching coaches. It's like yeah, the guy who claims he's making money drop shipping, but he's really yeah. making money selling you how to do dropship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is what we talked about, which is um, the incentive structure of the creator, take us for instance, not matching what is best for the person on the other end. So like, look, I hope you enjoy all of our charisma videos. But the fact is, if we had 30 perfect ones instead of 300 good ones, like the people who watch them would be better off, but there'd be fewer people. By a lot. By a, by a, by a lot. <laughs> thousand, like yeah. a thousand X okay. less. Yeah. The, by a lot. Um, because I would have picked no name people, and you know, like I yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't see you, which is it's like here's someone you've That's never heard. Think of. about so what do we we get like nine million views or something a, a year? Last, last uh, a month. Oh, a month. Okay, so yeah. nine million views a month. <laughs> you should I don't know the analytics, dude. Uh, nine million views a month. If we just had put Charisma University up on YouTube, yeah. that was it. Just once a day, we released a video for thirty days, and then we stopped. How many views do you think that would get a month? Because I think it would be oh god, nothing. like like ten thousand <laughs> maybe net. Well, not if we had started with. Oh, it. if we started if with those it, were the zero. first thirty videos, zero, exactly. Yeah. So if we took the, if we just took Chris University, put it up on YouTube, thirty days, and then we're like, we're done. It's mm -hmm. the perfect program. Zero people would see it. Sure. So like, it's only by going via Craig Ferguson and Kevin Hart mm -hmm. and all these people that anybody even sees the good stuff. Yeah. Because wow. like YouTube wouldn't promote me and you sitting in front of a camera chatting. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I don't want to confuse two things. I think that there's um there's Incentives aligned ethical marketing where you sell the beach body and deliver the diet. You know what I mean? Where you like mm -hmm. where you like talk about like, look, here's your outcome and you can achieve it. And it's like, okay, here's the broccoli and the rigorous workout routine. Oh, I think that's fine. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's totally fine to sell the benefits and 
not necessarily the like uh, mechanism for getting sure. it. It's like, listen, I'm not going to tell you what's in this, but six packs abs <laughs> are around the corner. Yeah. And then it's like a hard workout and a good diet for three yeah, months. Yeah. Well, that's fine. That's going to get you your six pack abs. So included in that, for, I would say like, it's not unethical to do a breakdown of an individual. You know what I mean? It's not, I, I don't think that there's any problem with that. The problem comes when, when you allow the pursuit of things that are good for you, views, money, et cetera, to completely color the data in a way that is predictably going to negatively influence the mm. people watching it. So I think for us, like one of the predictable things that could happen is people could get information overload, you know, yeah. and I try to make that clear in the videos. I'm like, don't watch all of these at once. And then I get these messages like, I've just binged all of your yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I hope you enjoyed it because you're going to get very little from it yeah. uh, when when it's done that way. Um, but any, yeah, so I've, I've just been seeing a lot of it. I want to do less of it in our business because uh, it's gross and, <laughs> and, and we're all guilty of it yeah. and we can reduce our, if there's a carbon footprint, there's also a bullshit footprint <laughs> of like sure. disseminating crap. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, uh, and the audience, I feel like I know a lot about starting a successful YouTube channel. Mm. Uh, I have not made money teaching people how to do it. And while I would like to recoup some value, I also feel like I, I like have so much that in the right hands would be so useful. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, but I am not incentivized to create a how to start a YouTube channel video because I'm, I don't have a course on it and it would right. just take a lot of time. And you and, don't want to make a course because you're hesitant to get into the how to do business. And world. I don't want to make a course because I understand that there's danger to the, the how to yeah, earn yeah, money yeah. is a very slippery slope to uh, all lot, all manner of sin. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my question is, is there a way for me to be incentivized personally to put in the work to teach it um, in a way that would help the world? Or is it just like, wow, what a bummer. Like I know well, all of this stuff and, and I can't, get it to the right people because it's just not worth my time or something like that. I've told you this. I, I don't think you are excited by it, but I think there's a opportunity to take applications and do a Y Combinator for YouTube mm -hmm. where you just basically take 10 people. You you cap it for real, not fake scarcity, like really like 10 people because it's going to take some of your time. And then you, through the applicants, find people you think have the uh, talent to be successful on yep. YouTube. And you go, okay, you guys are going to give me 10%. And then I'm going to help you grow 100x. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to make 100x more money, and then you're going to give 10% of it to me. And I think that would be ethical, cleanly aligned incentives, helps uh, give value to 10 people in a way that I, I really think would 100x their uh, potential to succeed. If they were the right people. If they were the right people. So so that's the solution <laughs> that I like. But So I, I think of the Team 10 debacle, which is Jake Paul... Pulls all these kids in, takes 20%, calls it Team 10, but <laughs> takes, <laughs> takes 20%. Were there 10 of them? I think there was like 10 of them, yeah, that's and, but then there was more. And uh, But he took 20%, and quite frankly, is 100% responsible for the success because every single one of them got successful, yeah, and, as, yeah. and as they lost association with Jake Paul, has their stars waned. Sure. Which So in any event, it's like, look, you had to technically be there, but like, he's the real the X factor in all yeah, of this. Yeah, sure. You're replaceable. He is not. But you'd be behind the scenes. So if somebody in this Y Combinator model, you I'd, wouldn't be yeah. the voice or the guru or anything. So like if Justin made a YouTube channel that was about something he cared about, mm -hmm. the fans would think that it was Justin. You would just be the mentor. Mm -hmm. So you can't take away his fame. Whereas Jake, Jake Paul could just be like, hey, you're kicked out of the house. You're out of the house. It's like, yeah. okay, well, that's the end of your yeah, career. Yeah, so so I'm I'm actually more exposed in this one because I can put in a lot of help and work to a small channel and then they don't want to 
give the 10% or whatever. But anyway, the point that I saw is uh, contracts like this are, and Y Combinator, are difficult without like equity shares because there's such a disconnect chronologically of value put in and value turned back oh, no, around. You do an equity share. That's what Y Combinator does. Yes. They, y Combinator, for people who don't know, basically they take people that have good ideas. They say, I'm going to permanently own some percentage of your business mm-hmm. forever. In 30 years when you're making money, you'll be paying me. But the flip side is most businesses fail. And when you go through Y Combinator, you get a bunch of really smart mentors who have launched hundreds of businesses. The chances that you succeed and succeed to the point where you're making seven figures are much higher. Yeah. And so that's the deal. They go, you're going to give me some percentage forever. I'm going to be incredibly helpful in your first couple of years. And hopefully you'll achieve success levels above anything you could have done on your own. Mm-hmm. Well, so then I'll flip this one. I know the, the other option is um, to view like recompense, not in terms of dollars, which is to say, if I took 10 people and really helped them with their YouTube channel and owned nothing, mm-hmm. I'm just like, dude, I believe in you. I'm getting tired of making this shit and you're fresh. <laughs> like, could there just be a, not even karmic. Uh, now I'm friends with 10 people that have good YouTube channels and I've done them a huge solid. Like if I filter for good people that are likely to reciprocate in some way without a contract, yeah, yeah. is that likely to be good a good thing yeah, and a good use of time? Yeah, it depends on how, how much, uh, how motivating it is for you, you know? I think it's 10, almost 10%. more motivating because I actually like, what, fear, what, I, what I fear about the 10% is that I might not earn it. You know what I mean? That, that for somebody, they might find a different path of breaking through and I could sign yeah, yeah. the contract. And so many people have tried to screw us with the same contract. So I hate it. You remember, we went to this one agency and the deal was, look, we're going to do this platform and this, and we're going to help you with this. And you're just going to send 10%. And by the way, uh, the money's going to hit us first and we'll send yeah, you yeah, 90. Yeah. And there was just all of these crooks with this sure, same exact side, All our idea. foreign language channels. Uh, have benefited greatly from oh, this deal. Yeah. So, I mean, we do 50-50 splits with people who translate our content into other languages. Mm-hmm. So you come in, take all our videos, you translate them into Italian, you translate Chrism University into Italian, and then we go 50-50, which is more than 10%. And everybody's winning because it's like much easier for them than starting their own YouTube channel. We're not going to translate into Italian yeah. on our own. So like certainly not all equity splits are sure. destructive. Some so, are very valuable. Yeah, so I'll zoom out. And I don't want to spend more time on this because I'm, I'm sure it's not interesting to everybody. But um, the interesting question is, is there a way to structure things such that my incentives are aligned? Because I, I do believe that the course model, particularly for yeah. earn money, is dangerous. And the yeah. course model is dangerous as is. You know what I mean? Like you can you can be just as much of a fraud in the charisma space. And I don't want to I don't want to pretend that um, there's not a world where a charisma company could be shit. I happen to think that we do a really good job. I, I think that what keeps us safe is our like basically complete and total refund policy yeah, which say, is the, like the reason you know well yeah that's why i, I, I feel a thousand percent positive that we uh aren't a scam because you can buy the course and for 60 days for no reason at all you can just get a refund so the yeah. only money we keep are people who want us to keep their money mm-hmm. so i think when you have a note like some people do action-based guarantees where they're like you can get your money back as long as you jump through these seven hoops do a somersault don't eat for five days yeah. like but yeah if we just say there's literally a button you just push it and you get your money back it's like how could you be a scam if the only money you keep is voluntary? Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, since we're on the topic, if you do want to join Charisma University and check the money back guarantee, all that stuff out, go ahead, click the link in the description. It's there. It's got a 60-day money back guarantee that you can use for any reason at all. And the point of the entire course is to become more charismatic and confident in 30 days. It's specifically very actionable. We've had thousands of people go through it and really enjoy it. So if that's of interest to you, check it out in the description. 
Yeah. So. yeah well, so, so well, uh, uh, one other one thing and then we'll move on. But if you want to, you could just do the Y Combinator thing. Get people to come in who were like happy to give you 10 percent. And then if one just flourishes on his own, just like void the contract. Yeah. And give him his money back. Yeah. So what so. I would say is if you guys are patrons or if you're in the comments and you have thoughts about this, let me know. This is something I'm noodling on. And the big question is, uh, well, the statement is courses, I think, are a broken model where especially in the make money niche, 99% of people lose money. And if you look at the totality of what happens, value is destroyed. It's a upwards funneling of two to $3,000 to the person who's running it. Money is wasted on ads, on this fake belief that you can just make it happen. And there's no accountability to actually make those people deliver. And the worst case scenarios is where these people are coaching coaches and many of them are successful in now spreading the same uh, broken business model of, you know, now I'm going to coach you to teach other people to grow their business. So your question is, what is a model that will create value, mm -hmm. help you help you to get your YouTube knowledge to other people in a way that's exciting to you and valuable to them? Mm -hmm. That's not a business course. Yeah, that's, don't that, enter that's the not broken where like where everybody looks back and like, wow, that was net to the world. Positive. Yeah, yeah. like st good things happen of these collaborations. Let's see what we get in the comments. Yeah. So let us know. Um, I have another incentive thing. It's a little bit tangential, but well, I was... can I actually related to this? Well, oh, go ahead. No, you got go incentives. Ahead. I was just going to say, so we have a, a patron who was very generous and uh, did the full alpha and omega pass it, uh, package and donated to make this episode happen. So um, his what is his name? His name is John, right? And he runs a YouTube channel called Media Magnates. Um, so I went to check it out. And I have to say, like, I, I would not say this if it was not the case. His The most recent video that he did is fucking excellent. Except for the parts that matter the most. <laughs> and what I mean by that is it's, uh, it's a video on the things that we've talked about here on how it's very difficult to know what is true in this world and all the layers at which that is occurring. Fake news, deceptive things, your own brain tricking you. It's like 20 minutes. The editing is on is completely like as good, if not better than ours. Mm. Um, the problem is that the weakest parts are the title, mm. the thumbnail, mm. and like the first minute and a half. Right. Which is, so a little lesson for people, not just on YouTube, but on life. I was thinking about this. There's roughly two categories of things in the world. There are... Uh, Things, events, whatever, where the, the beginning and the end are both guaranteed to happen and are roughly equally weighted. So a basketball game. Like if you are rusty at the beginning of basketball games but come alive in the second half, there's not really a problem to that. Yeah, it's Paul, just like, Paul George literally just did this. Played <laughs> yes. like shit in the first half, fire in the second half, his team won. You could do it every game and it's really not a problem. It's like a point in the fourth quarter and a point in the third quarter are worked the same and the third quarter is always going to happen. Okay, what's the, what's the other category? <laughs> the other category of things is where if you don't pass certain checkpoints, you don't make it to the next level. Yeah. Conversations are like Flirting this. Flirting is like this. So we would get guys who'd be like, dude, once I've talked to her for an hour, if I can just get to that point, man, she's going to love me. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hook up with like half the women that I managed to talk to for an hour. It's like, yeah, it's because everyone that doesn't like you is just opting out. So you're like, so you never get you, to the hour. Of course you do. Yes. So conversations are Everybody like this. Everybody does. Flirting is like this. Job interviews, gated things. And YouTube is like this. Yeah. And the first gate where 97 or 98% of the people just get not included is at the title and the thumbnail. Yep. So his thumbnail um, and I mean this in the most constructive way because I think he's got very good content, is low contrast, you know, doesn't all these things. I'm going to make a separate video for you if you're listening right now that goes deeper into all of this. Well, I think the bigger um, thing is people don't spend the time on it. They don't think about it like this. So they exactly. make a video that's their magnum opus that they love and they'll spend, let's say, a full week, 40 hours doing it. 
And then on their thumbnail, they will spend 30 minutes. And on brainstorming their title, they'll spend 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so you'll get a 40-hour week, less than one hour went to title and thumbnail. Your video success is 97%. (laughs) Much much more than 2% of it is due to the title and the thumbnail. Mm -hmm. And so you get this weird thing where people don't understand what uh, matters if your goal is to get views and to grow on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that they're not capable of making good thumbnails. It's that that's not where their time goes. It's not where their mental energy goes. When they're in the shower thinking about the video, they're thinking about what B-roll should be in minute 30 instead of what they should be brainstorming, which is like, how do I make this title more exciting to click? Yeah. So that's the problem is people just don't focus on the stuff that matters. Sure. So and and even if you're not a YouTuber, these things exist in your life. If you think that you're a, like, again, you're a strong closer in a sales process or in flirting or in whatever, uh, get your ego out of the way and recognize that you don't get to close every single opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you got to build the front end is much more important. So yeah, if people who don't dress well and then don't understand why well, I can't go to a bar and just talk to women. It's such a struggle. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you're just hamstringing yourself in the first second. Yes. So spend to the personality part. Spend time and energy and effort on these front things. And we don't need to go into the YouTube, but we spend a lot of time and energy on our titles and thumbnails mm-hmm. and the formatting and the topic. Um, so I'm going to put a link to that video. I really do think it's good. It talks about a lot of the stuff that we discuss. And I think the first point, it just unfortunately um, is weak and seems obvious to me. But I'll make a separate video for you on that. What's the channel called? Uh, I think it's called Media Magnates. One other thought, and this is general, but I'll, I'll include it. Um, I saw that John has a YouTube course on how to grow a YouTube channel mm. and has not yet, in my opinion, done it. Like, mm. is that eight-ish thousand subs? Really good. Like, your content is, is you you eventually can have this course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to get there if you learn and do it. But I think it's dangerous, not just for the people who buy it, but for you to at all enter into the mindset that you're ready to teach when you're at this stage. Yeah, we've seen this with people. If you become a teacher in something, oftentimes you lose your learner's mindset. Yes. And also for your for your uh, imposter syndrome's sake, you feel like all of a sudden you shouldn't be buying YouTube courses because you're a YouTube guru or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Like you stop studying because you're, you think that that's where you're at. Yes, I've seen this disrupt people. Be, it massively. gets it massively. massively. It gets in the way of them asking questions. Mm-hmm. They become competitive with other people teaching. Uh, it, it it can actually. It's not just bad for the customers who are now getting the playbook that has gotten you to where you are, but not further than where you are. Oh yeah, it'll stop your it's, growth. It's gonna stop your growth. So my recommendation for anybody, and not just because I actually do think that there's a lot of amazing stuff to this channel. It wasn't just this video. I clicked around. I was like, there's so much solid stuff happening here. Um, I would recommend that you stop selling that course for now Mm. set up uh, a metric whether it's you're making this amount of money or have this many subscribers or whatever and then of course you can teach it now i think what's always available and i want to i want to keep room for this is you do not have to for instance have the biggest youtube channel in order to teach youtube you just need to make sure that what you're selling reflects what you have done and can achieve and i think the course is about building a youtube empire and in my opinion this is not yet a youtube empire um, so similarly, like you don't no, have you to, you could have a 1 million subscriber YouTube channel and your course could be called how I built a 1 yeah, million yeah, subscriber yeah, yeah. YouTube channel. It's like, great. You did. Yeah. You're not PewDiePie, but you don't have to be. And mm-hmm. it can be, you know, how, how to make a full-time living off of YouTube, yeah. you know, like, and if you did that before the course, like perfect, that's amazing. If you're 
185 pounds in solid, or screw it, if you're 170 pounds and you're not really that ripped, but you lost 50 pounds, you could still make a fitness course on like yeah, how, to how, to lose, how to lose weight. Maybe not how to compete in muscle contest things, yeah, beach yeah. body, but so in any event, um, all of this to say, I actually see a ton of good stuff in here. And if we do this thing, I would love John to be part of whatever it is we do. And I'm, I'm not even trying to take 10% of your thing. Like, I think it's very likely that we do this karmic, <laughs> just, you know, amorphously Omi one, but, um, you got great stuff and we appreciate you supporting the podcast. So cool. that's that you had said incentives. Oh yeah. This was just a shower thought I had, but, um, I was thinking about how, because I was thinking about the Bosch conversation we had, and I was thinking about uh, Black Lives Matter, and I was thinking about how the streets were filled with people because of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder if any black people have been shot recently by police. So I gave it a Google. And it turns out there have been. <laughs> yeah. Because there's 200, I think. 250 a year. Get shot a year. So yeah. like that's going to be every one other day. One every other day or one every And uh, also, just to be clear, like multiple white people have been shot by police since those... Yeah. Uh, marches and protests. And probably just the same, like, ex yeah, no more, what no you would less. expect. Just, yeah. just an even distribution over the years. Black people have been shot since those protests. White people have been shot since those protests. Uh, I would bet that most people don't know their names. And it just made me think and realize that uh, we are at the whim of the propaganda machine. Mm -hmm. And we kind of touched on this in our last podcast. But um, I think people think that the news that they consume is safe. So they think the other side's is biased, but theirs isn't. Or they think the mainstream media is biased, but not my Ben Shapiro or not my Young Turks. And I was just thinking about this and I was like, the media, to some degree, I truly think is an outrage machine or a sadness machine, and it's meant to manipulate you. And so like when it was convenient to have this outrage, I think because there was an election coming up, a lot of outrage came up. And then when... Biden started to perform worse in cities that had riots. I think there was a dip in media coverage. Mm -hmm. And now that the election results are in, I haven't heard a peep about it. And that's interesting to me because it's not just what you see on the news, but it's what you see in the streets, which is to say suddenly all these people who are really concerned with police brutality aren't marching. You know, some are. Some yeah. are marching. Some march every day in front of like Congress. But the amount of people marching is 1%. Well, you know, it's funny. So like where you wouldn't know if there was marches going on because if they don't cover the marches, sure. like, and, and you can, you can suffocate it that way as well. There yes. can be a massive populist uprising that you're just like, not on my neighborhood or not in my street. Yes. Which, which for me, the whole, it isn't actually about Black Lives Matter at all. I was just thinking about, it, I was like, wow, we, we are really at the whim of the outrage machine mm -hmm. and the propaganda machine. And I think that if we think we know how big a problem is, the amount of people being shot is the same today as it was four months ago, and it will be the same as it was a year ago or whatever until there's massive systemic change. But the amount that it weighs on people's minds is is yeah not in their control at all. And it's just really fascinating to me. It made me realize that uh, I think we should all be a lot less certain with our views of like what we think is happening in the world. Yeah. Well, of course, we're going to learn that over and over again. I saw an interesting thing. And again, I don't even know if this is true because it was a random thing on Reddit that was data is beautiful. It was causes of death in America. Hmm. Uh, Google searches for the 2016 of, you know, related causes of death. Uh, New York Times coverage of topics and Guardian coverage of topics. And as predicted, you know, heart disease, 30 percent. Invisible 
in the New York Times and invisible. Yeah, yeah. no one is talking thing. about how like what you're eating is killing you. Cancer, twenty percent. We're at we're at half of the Americans who die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think it was thirty and thirty. We well, whatever. Cancer, interestingly, larger but still underrepresented. Yeah, you know, terrorism, like no one, like terrorism, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big thing. Uh, and you just it's it's obviously sensationalized, but this comes back to incentives. If you can ask yourself what what incentives are driving this? The obvious answer is not the protection of Americans. It's like it's, yeah, it's not saving lives. It's not you want to saving save lives, lives. You would just try to change people's diets. You'd make a radical push against to make refined sugar, sugars. Yeah, have a massive tax and disincentive, make it too expensive to consume at the rate that we consume, and you would save so many more lives. Well, if you if you, it's funny because if you look at it, you got heart disease, cancer. Then like next is like diabetes. I mean, it's like diet, 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 yeah, yeah. all the way down. Uh, and no, yeah, you get to you. I think you get to over sixty percent of deaths are diet. I yes. If you, if you believe, which I do, that your diet um, contributes to heart disease and cancer, sure. I guess if someone's going to say that heart disease and cancer are purely genetic, then mm -hmm. me and them are just going to have a different discussion on the importance of nutrition. But again, and everything you know about that comes from a book that you read and not looking through a microscope. So uh, oh, allow yeah, no, for yourself from, to be. It's from, <laughs> it's from just believing a small subsection of doctors and scientists. But yep. like, if for if for whatever reason. They were incentivized to lie about that. Well, guess what? I would be misinformed. Guess what, man? Publish or perish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who's got a crazy thing to say? Because, like, power poses increase your testosterone all of a sudden. So, yeah, and, and this is what John's video actually talks about. It's like the layers of, of bullshit that mm -hmm. you have to wade through to eventually get to it. Um, and to recognize that even your own psyche is not interested in the truth. It's interested in advantage. So like the way that I perceive everything in this room is like, I'm not even like, oh, like there's a coat laying on that thing. But first off, I separated it and I labeled it a coat because it's used to me is in keeping me warm, mm. not as like a piece of fabric or why am I separating the coat from the counter that it's on because they're touching and technically that would make it one thing. It's like, no, my use of a counter is to cut it on. And I'm just, everything I look at, I look at it as utility to me. Sure. Um, as do we all. So like there's just like layer after layer after layer of uh, not truth <laughs> to go through. And it gets in the way, I mean, not only of you accessing the truth, but of starting a successful business or like planning your life so that you don't die because now like you've avoided every terrorist attack, but have been chowing down yeah, on yeah, Twinkies. Yeah. Every, and, every day like, you drink seven supersized Cokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you avoid major buildings yeah. because you want to make sure you avoid the next 9-11 target. Exactly. Like, you're just going to get a heart attack sitting at home. Yeah. So we've got a world full of people with, uh, you know, seven or eight layers of, of deception fog glasses on, all screaming at each other about how they're certain that the other people have got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a hilarious state of affairs. No, it's, it actually, I mean, I constantly, uh, blows my mind, impresses me. I don't know the word. I, I'm always shocked at how convinced people are that the other side is a certain thing. Yeah. And the description they give is perfect for their side as well. Yeah. Like these people are idiots who consume news from a certain channel and they're just sucking down propaganda and misinformation. Like, well, that's probably true, but like also true of you while yeah. you're shouting this. You know what I was, I was, um, I read something. It was an Amazon book review. Okay, so this is fascinating. So Douglas Murray, highly controversial guy who talks about how IQ and race are 
related and potentially like different amongst racial groups, which mm-hmm. has scary implications that people don't don't want to look into it. Doesn't necessarily has, say it's genetic. He literally just says that if you do studies, you'll see a difference in cohorts. Well, I don't even know. I haven't even read his book, but I, I know because Amazon, he's got a new book that comes out next year that mm-hmm. is specifically like talking about this. So anyway, I looked, I've not, I've not read his books. I know that he's a very controversial figure in the podcast world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all that I know. Uh, but I read a review of his. One was glowing in the one star had uh, a bunch of citations like and it was a takedown of this uh you know kaplan 1997 this and it occurred to me it's like wow what college teaches us about citations well i i understand the intent it's deeply unscientific because the way that everyone i think probably even your thesis advisors read your thesis is they do not reference every single citation you make and then go to that book and then reference the citations they make and found find the ground kernel of truth and research from which it all stems. Yeah. It's an appeal to authority over and over yeah, yeah, and over. See, you're saying they just see the superscript number that is a citation. They go, oh, the sentence Oh, that's is true. a book that other people have referenced. And how do we know that it's true? It's got a lot of citations. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like I, a lot of people say that I'm right too. Like yeah. it's just a popularity contest masked as as truth. And yeah. it's and if the foundational research is broken and everybody cites it, why does that make it any more true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I so, and I, and I don't have a better solution because I, I understand why this model would be made because it's like look if we've if a lot of people are checking it we're kind of crowdsourcing and trusting but that's not how truth works and we know this because for you know you weren't allowed to look through the telescope to see that like look the moon has craters and it. it's not perfectly round and it, it moves in this way and like if you go with consensus apollo is pulling his the chariot of the sun across the sky in a stationary world and you just wind up nowhere with consensus yeah. somebody has to investigate the most deeply held truths that everybody agrees upon. And no one is doing it, but we have this believe the science mentality on both sides, by the way. On, on every side, they'll just reference some study that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a hilarious state of affairs yeah, that, yeah. That, where you're just screaming, uh, telling people to recognize your authority figures cloaked well, as scientific inquiry. Uh, people do this all the time. It's so fascinating. They'll be like, a, you know, a study shows and the study is of 26 college kids. Yeah, we've and talked about this. Like, yeah. This isn't nearly enough people from nearly diverse enough population to tell us anything. Yeah. But once it becomes a study, game on. Yeah. Then everyone can just cite it. I'd like to talk to someone from the hard sciences because I suspect that this stuff still happens in the hard sciences, but hopefully there's a closer recourse to what you want is a feedback mechanism that slaps you in the face when you get it wrong. So well, like yeah, if your math if you're launching a rocket based on math based on theories that don't work your rocket's just going to fucking explode. Yes. Like you have to get that right. But if you get your po- politics wrong, people just suffer. <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. we've been doing that. You in the face. We've been doing no, that for a long time. Math is wrong. It costs him <laughs> billions of dollars. But if your if your poli sci math is wrong, you just get to profit from publishing a study and people will just take the wrong conclusion and then live their lives. Yeah. So the question is, you know, are these feedback loops tight? Uh, do they slap the person proposing it and not someone else? Like all of these things are, are um, I, cause, cause what I can't do is function in the world, uh, distrusting everything that other people say mm-hmm. and consensus. So I try to add a handful of these questions, like how does their incentive structure work? What is their feedback loop? Like, um, do they have skin in the game? And it hopefully helps. And yeah, it's it's um, 
it's I'm learning to do it better. But when I look at the beginning of our business, it cost us at least two years of just garbage teachers telling us to do guest posts, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> build someone else's audience. So uh, yeah, don't have to do that one too much longer. Um, I have a handful of other things. Go for it. I have so much, but none of them is really yeah, we haven't time chatted. sensitive. So the it's coronavirus relief thing, it's going to be old news in two minutes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Might not even pass. But just into, into recognition to how some of the sausage is made, uh, there was included in it that streaming, you know, uh, the broadcasting of my brother constantly is just watching NBA games that I don't think we pay for. <laughs> He's like, I can't get my streams. Yeah. And so he looked it up. And there was a provision written into the coronavirus relief package that is streaming is now a felony. Like for streaming providing, for providing, providing streaming for commercial profit is now a felony. Providing streams, not which, not illegally streaming in the way that you would like watch yes, something receiving. as a consumer. Yeah. Um, but what's I think is it's like, sure, maybe. I don't know. But can we put that in the streaming is a bad yeah, yeah, is yeah. bad that act? Was my sense. I was like, people were kind of outraged about it. I'm like, I'm not even sure I'm opposed to this. <laughs> bill mm -hmm. if it were just itself like it's illegal to provide illegal streams i think i'm actually okay with that but it seems weird that you couldn't if you're a congressperson you couldn't sign the stimulus bill without passing that part of it like well, to take that part out would require discussing it and <laughs> just ludicrous removing it's it and voting on it and so like you couldn't get people or companies their stimulus yeah in a timely fashion unless you just accept that that's going to become a felony. So what? Yeah, what I take in is that somebody who that matters to, yep, which is you know Disney or Netflix. I don't I don't know particularly who. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, gets to write these things, yep. <laughs> you know, and and that person does not have the interests of, and perhaps their company is included, and maybe it's maybe it's a good thing, but yeah. it's certainly not something that the majority of people care about in their coronavirus stimulus. Well, if AOC is to be believed. I think they got this thing like two hours before they had to sign it or not sign it. And if you don't sign it, it doesn't get ratified. It, yeah, you it don't get any, no the, money. It yeah. goes back to the drawing board. Basically, you have to like re-ratify a new bill. So yeah. And I, she's just like, I would have to read 40 pages. I forget it was like 40 pages in a, a minute, minute or something. Yeah, it's crazy. She's just like, this isn't, in, I'm being asked to vote blind on a thing that has so many like sub bills that mm -hmm. I don't understand. So in any event, um, I'm disenchanted with politics. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. where I land on that is uh, please leave me alone as much as possible because I don't like this thing. I don't like how it works. You're I don't, saying you're, you're skewing towards a government I, that bothers you less because- Oh, no, I'm not even skewing towards a government that bothers me less. I'm like, I want to not be like- Do you mean talking about it or you mean being- Who am I going to vote for? Who am I going to vote for? Some guy that says that he won't do this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, he says that he's not going to be a piece of- lying you know manipulative like uh it's just so removed and what i just yeah I, I don't know how to do it but i was just okay sausage is made in a really gross way again yeah yeah um yeah that's all sure. that's all no i saw the same thing and honestly i don't like i said i don't even know if i think it's a bad law to pass i just don't understand why we didn't look at it individually <laughs> it seems yeah. weird to package it all together yeah so one last thing for me and then we can we can do yours so i as you know have been watching a lot of D and D for the oh, last yeah. couple of weeks. Wow. I don't know why. I think no, Joe, it's the Joe Joe Manganiello doing a breakdown. I was so gonna yeah, I was gonna do a nerd breakdown. A video. So there's Henry Cavill. For people who don't know, Henry Cavill and uh, Joe Manganelli Manganiello uh, are very big into nerdy things like Dungeons and Dragons, Warhammer Forty Thousand, and so you were gonna do a video on how to be charismatic and cool because people really like those guys while having super nerdy hobbies. Yeah, and it 
took you down a rabbit hole. Took me down to, to D and D. Super nerdy hobbies. Yeah. So I, I could I could tell stories about campaigns, but I won't. <laughs> I won't bore you. Uh, what it, it you it understand was, now why at age thirteen I used to sneak away to play well, a role playing game. What I what I notice is that the difference between uh, nerds and everyone else is simply I guess it's kind of two things. It's imagination and lack of shame around that imagination. So take comic books. They they were nerdy. Yep. Like the 90s that they were not cool. Yeah, yeah. But it's because you had to like imagine these things. But as soon as they put it on a big screen yeah, yeah. and like let it play out, they're modern day gods. You know, like everybody loves Iron Man, but at the time you had to imagine this guy. You see these people like painting their little action figures like pew pew and I step around and I slice you know and and I would say the majority of people look at that and go what dorks Mm -hmm. but if they could see that scene playing out in front of them yeah would be so freaking into it because the stories are fun and you're engaged and you're playing and Walder's gate dude I'll (laughs) I'll do you one better if I tell you that I personally have created a cleric character and I gave him 16 dexterity because it helps my armor class everyone is just like nerd yeah but if I tell you that I know that Joel Embiid averaged 24 points and 12 rebounds last season. And I think he's going to do 26 and 13 this season. Yeah. But his plus minus is worse than Rudy Gogut Bears because his defense is underrated. Nobody thinks I'm a nerd. Maybe they think I like basketball too much or I'm too in the weeds. But no one is like, oh, let's bully that. Let's tease that. Yeah, That's yeah. something to be ashamed of. Knowing the same like stats, but for something you can't even participate in. Mm-hmm. Something you can only watch and shout at as... You have no influence on the outcome. Yeah. But in this game where you are a full participant, having that same knowledge is just poo-pooed because uh, it's not cool for whatever reason. And so the funny thing about fantasy football is it still has this – It's you still get to watch football, right? Mm -hmm. It's still – there's no imagination – really or less imagination necessary than with these these games but you could imagine if if you were into like real fantasy football like like but my team punts and like kicks people would think that you're a nerd because what what is required in all of these things is imagination and a lack of shame about the vivid world that you're capable of creating in your head and co-creating with your friends and so just for me um it made me think a couple of things that if you were a nerd Back in the day, I really think you should lean into that because technology is making it so that you need less and less imagination in order to do these things. And so Dungeons and Dragons was this fringe thing. Uh, when Baldur's Gate 3 releases, it's going to be one of the biggest video games. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Because, so Baldur's Gate 3 is based around Dungeons and Dragons 5e. I didn't even know what, so, that, I didn't even know yeah. what that was until I bought the video game. But it's just the rule set. So like every couple of years, Dungeons and Dragons, I guess, updates their rule set in... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply a year when this game releases and is I think going to be one of the biggest selling computer games of the year a hundred times more people will know the rules to Dungeons <laughs> yes. and Dragons 5e yes. on accident because they'll just be playing this game and they'll have to learn the game system mm -hmm. so I don't know what like if this is a stock tip or if this is a business tip but think of the imagination stuff that was that you loved as a kid so like we would play paintball but imagine that we were like we had set the forest on fire and like there was no time and we had to like run at each other like we would come up with all of these things and see if you can create that same experience for someone who doesn't have imagination yeah and i promise you you will have a banger of a business on yeah, your yeah, yeah. so like if you can somehow uh i mean even prior to paintball it was like i'm shooting you you know and that's nerdy but okay now i've got a paintball gun game that of hits thrones. game of thrones was a book it did pretty well yeah and they just made it a tv show and it smashed yes so so find ways or, or not even find ways take the things that you imagined as a kid that were amazing and like make a movie or a video game or a vr thing or or some kind of a thing because everything that was nerdy is about to become the coolest shit ever yeah. <laughs> uh and you saw it with Game of Thrones, you're going to see it with D&D as, as these video games come out. And video games in general used to be these hyper nerdy things. And why? Because you had to imagine more because the graphics were worse. Mm. You know, it was like, what was this little door? Like this little dot hopping around. He's like, that is a knight. And he's in the land of, it's like, this is fucking stupid. He hits him for 14 damage. All of a sudden, you've got a health bar and a guy and he bleeds a sudden. And 14 damage makes, a, is, everybody loves God of War. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. never mind the fact that you've got hit points just like you did back in the days of, sure. I don't know, Dragon no, Quest. I, I think it's a great point. It um, is funny, actually. A lot of the not a lot of the nerdy stuff is becoming incredibly popular. The Witcher on Netflix yep. was an obscure Polish book. Mm -hmm. It became a video game and then became one of the most popular Netflix TV shows. Yep. So whatever it is, and I, and I want to play this game with, with us because what it means is like, just go back to when you were a kid. And that oh, feeling it, that you felt. Dude, I got it. And I'll give it, I'll, I'll give it away because no one will do it. Uh, but it was Vampire the Masquerade. Well, it's happening. It's just a nerdier Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, they are. It's in production for a video game. So, and I don't know. I think there's going to be technology beyond that incorporates VR or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we don't need to beat this one to death. I think there's a lot there. And I think that people will underestimate the success of like moving from tabletop role playing to video yeah, game yeah. role playing. It's going to be a hundred or a thousand factor. Uh, so... I think the one thing that 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 Henry and Joe have in common and that I have seen myself in my own life is what you look like. Yeah. Has a massive impact on how people interpret your nerdy hobbies. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, I hit puberty incredibly late. So I was like really small. I had acne. My teeth were fucked up. And when I liked comic books and role playing games and all that stuff, I was uh, it was not well received as like a cool thing, but had a little bit of a glow up. And I'll, I tell girls if I'm uh, meeting them and it comes up that I like this nerdy stuff now and like no one cares. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't know the answer yet, but I do feel like there's a bit of uh, thin slice bias because someone sees you mm -hmm. before they learn your hobbies. Yep. And so like they see you and they're like, OK, I've got you assessed. You're like a well-dressed guy in an expensive bar where I know the drinks are expensive. Uh, oh, it turns out that you like Dungeons and Dragons. I don't care because I've already decided based on your clothes and where we're 
located that you're cool. Yep. You know what I mean? People and love it, it when you when you break the type that they place you into. They, they become very interested in that. Yes. So there's a guy from uh, Big Bang Theory who loves Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And I think that's a less interesting thing to people yep. than the fact that Henry Cavill does. Yep. Because Henry Cavill looks like a marble statue. Yep. 100%. <laughs> so, and, and, and so the question is like, well, what do you do? Because we're giving all this advice. Like, what do you do if you're, if you're the Big Bang Theory guy? I think you still lean into it. You lift weights. <laughs> I, know, I mean, maybe. maybe no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the video. And, I, and it's, it's, there's an element of like, look, muscle is one way to get a different typecast. But I do see that, uh, and I, I experienced this abroad. I had two options when I was abroad. When I walked up to somebody for the first time, I could start speaking in English or Spanish slash Portuguese, depending mm -hmm. on where we were. If I started in Spanish and Portuguese, I had solid Spanish and Portuguese, and we would continue, and it would be a fine interaction. Yeah, but no, not impressed. No, no one's like, oh, my God, wow. It's like, oh, it's how long you've been here for? Yeah, cool. If I started in English, yep. and I just went for like 10 minutes in English, and then you know somebody walked up, like, uh, and they would try in English, and they'd be like, what's that word? And then I would just bust out the Portuguese, mind blown. Yeah, all of a sudden, they'd be like, oh, my God. All of a sudden, my Spanish and Portuguese were next level. Yeah. How, like, and it... It was literally just allowing them to put me into a box mm. and then breaking out of it. And so I, I've done that with a lot of, th I've, I've tried to set up situations like that at various times in my life with regards to um, how I present myself. So if you wear a particular set of clothes or you look really big and buff, I actually think at like then once, if you've, if you've stereotyped yourself to be the big tough guy, if you got a shaved head, you got the big beard, you got tattoos. And you like go in a conversation like that for five, 10 minutes with a couple of dudes, and then you bust out Dungeons and Dragons, those dudes will fucking love you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you're like, and you like, you know, everything about the, the movies and like all that trivia, it's gonna go over so well. Versus even if you dress like that, but immediately break out of the box, like you wanna let people put you into the box and then you know break what's it. interesting? Some, I actually sometimes I do find that uh, if you're in that circle though, like, you're not always welcome because of the way you look, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So like if I go to an improv class and most people are kind of, uh, they're more out of shape and they don't dress particularly well and they are the type of person you would assume likes Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And then I'm like, I like Dungeons and Dragons too. Mm -hmm. They're they're not super hyped about it necessarily. They're yeah, kind of yeah. just like, no, no, we don't want you in this. You're gonna have to prove your cred. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that occurs for sure. Um, but anyway, I'll make the video. I'm not gonna do it all here. <laughs> so I look forward to watching it. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great concept. Um, so one, my last thing for the day is that uh, YouTube. This happened weeks ago, but it is is still interesting. Stopped the promulgation, or or basically said they will shut down any video that says that Donald Trump lost the election because of widespread fraud, uh, mm. which is. Interesting, obviously, because for years they allowed videos that said that he won the election because of widespread fraud, which includes everything about Russia, <laughs> you know, for years and years and years. And so I think it's almost I'd, I'd be interested if anyone disagree with me. YouTube has made their political stance very clear, and they've also made very clear that they're going to allow it to influence what videos exist on their platform. Mm. Um, if anybody disagrees, we can talk about why I think that. But it, I'm, I would be surprised at this point if anybody doesn't feel that way okay at a high level you're just saying it was okay to make a video saying trump won because of fraud but it's not okay to make a video it's too dangerous trump it's, lost it's too it's too dangerous yeah. to say so that's that. where your thesis is coming yes um so in any event what was interesting is that we've often like look at incentives like that is not a good decision from a business perspective yeah, especially because it seems like most youtube users are right-leaning yes and well so they piss off the user base but also they expose themselves to an existential threat which is being 
titled not a platform but a publisher yeah. under U.S. law. Which will be the death of them. Which is, I mean, they're going to have to get a new category or something or lose millions and hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. just to stay alive. And to make that decision really threw me for a loop because I was like, whoa, this is an example of putting ideology before profits. Mm. And I don't ever see that. But then I was like, wait a second. I realize the loop that Americans have. Chinese probably have a very different culture. It's the number one God is short-term profits. The second God is ideology. <laughs> uh, and the third God is long-term profits. Got it. So like if this exploded YouTube that week, no chance. Mm. If YouTube immediately lost their status as a platform, they'd walk this back in a fucking heartbeat. They'd yeah. be done. It'd be over. All you people saying that like sit down. Um, but man, we are such short-term, we are such a short-term culture yeah. that our ideology squeezes in between short and long-term profits. It's incredible. Well, also, I think people sometimes don't understand the causes of success in their business. So like you did a video or a blog post about the X-Men franchise. Yeah. Because if you chart the Rotten Tomatoes score of the X-Men franchise and then the profit of the X-Men franchise. Well, at first, it's like completely uncorrelated. Right. And then you sh you take the profits and you shift it back one video one movie yes so that you're lining up how the last movie did with how the current movie profited yeah it lines up almost perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is to say the quality of your last movie determines how much money you make in this movie it makes total sense when mm -hmm. you lay it out like this it's like yeah no duh but then what the movie execs did is they would look at the current movie and the current movie profits to make decisions and so they'd be like oh this movie didn't make a lot of money it didn't have Wolverine. We need Hugh Jackman. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, the movie you made before this sucked. So no one saw this yeah. one. But this one's actually great. It doesn't need anything. You just need to make another movie. Mm -hmm. And then the next movie did really well. Yeah. But people were so short-term focused that a lot of times we don't understand like what's happening to us right now is actually the culmination of years of past <laughs> actions. Mm -hmm. And so I think our culture is so short-term focused, we can't even necessarily diagnose the long-term causes for things. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and it, with X-Men, it broke my heart because, f to me, First Class is one of the best movies, one of the lower performers. They took it in a very, not a very, but they... they uh, it was just novel relative to the other superhero movies. Yeah, they the took it in a different, you know, they went, they brought Wolverine back and made the, uh, Days of Future Past all about Wolverine because mm -hmm. the Wolverine movies relatively performed well. But again, my, my thesis in this is that they were riding off the success of the movie before that. Like, so in any event, uh, YouTube, man, crazy. Crazy, horrible, long-term decision-making for the value of their company. Now, it's it's in, it's kind of that long-tail risk that might not happen. Like, it's possible that it has no impact on their status, but what a chink in their armor when, oh, they, yeah. when they go to defend themselves as a platform and not a publisher. The other thing that's just a bummer is that okay, Parler exists now. And every, you know, all, all the Republicans are moving to Parler. They're the free speech platform. But it's like, let's not kid ourselves. This is not the free speech platform. This is the Republican platform, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. You go on there like, and you, you start, go saying, there some and you start saying some stuff that leans, that leans left or blue and you're done on Parler. So yeah, now we've, good. it's like, gosh, man, we, we can't, this is why we can't have nice things. Like, <laughs> like, so people can. really just want an echo chamber. Like as much as they complain about the other side's echo chamber, yeah. it's not fun to like, be challenged and to have your values like and your beliefs uh, critically attacked. And often people, I, we, I saw this in the comments with our Vosh video, <laughs> very few people on either side were changed. They just thought that whoever was saying what they already believed was, that was the smart person. Yeah. And that the person who was disagreeing with them was dumb. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's 
it seems pretty obvious to me that self-selecting into an echo chamber YouTube is like exactly what people want. Just well, to never be confronted with something that says that they're wrong. Yeah. And I think the deeper point of this is that we're all desperate to identify with something outside of our own internal experience. And the news provides us with a squawk box of like, you can identify with your beliefs about politics or the severity of yeah, the yeah. coronavirus. I was talking to my sister. So uh, four people in my family have now had coronavirus and gotten over it. Uh, my sister is the, the odd one out. Just to be clear, also, your parents live across the country. You're not actually no, a super no. spreader. This was a coincidence. No, no. I, I got, I I got think, you and my roommate. I don't want people to think you were being reckless. No, no. You got me and your roommate. Your parents got Just it. It happened to. 5,000 miles away. I didn't, I didn't see them on Thanksgiving. They got it. Yeah. Um, so we all have it now. We're like, look, let's go. To, well, I live in California. We're locked down to the teeth. Yep. I was like, I'd like to go sit at a restaurant. You know, I'll wear my mask on the way in. I haven't done that in a long time. It's like, been over two weeks too. So CDC says you're not contagious. I'm, I'm set. I appreciate, I appreciate you looking out for me. And, yep. and <laughs> um, but I was like, let's go to Las Vegas and we'll, uh, we'll get, we'll gamble on the casino floor and like, we'll, uh, enjoy our antibodies. Yep. Um, and my sister, who is a young, healthy person, uh, throughout all these conversations has been watching a lot of news and is very, very frightened of the coronavirus and didn't want to come, not because she was worried about getting the coronavirus, but because the way that I talk about it is flippant, you know, sometimes, mm. um, oftentimes I'm often flippant about it and I'm quasi joking. I quasi feel like I quasi feel like that it's a longer conversation, maybe for another podcast. Um, but she's like, no, I don't want to come and I don't want to hear you say that it's not that big a deal. And I was like, Jackie, like we disagree about so many things. Like this is not core to who you are. Like, can we not have diametrically opposed opinion opinions here and have it really not matter? Mm -hmm. Like we, you know that I can't get you sick. You know, like all of these things we agree upon, you're not actually going to be in any sort of risk. Uh, just the fact that I disagree with you is a thing. And once I said it, she very much was like, yeah, I'll come. Uh, but it was just interesting to me to see again, like, just people hate to be disagreed with about those things with which they identify. And mm. the news is just constantly giving us more useless, not useless, yeah, in many cases, useless beliefs with which to identify and convincing you that you're a bad citizen if you don't identify with these sorts of things because an informed citizen yeah, yeah. watches the news, which I hope we've thoroughly dismantled in terms of a way to understand the world well, at people, this point. People also, I think, like, they weaponize the worst of what's on the other side if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, I, I didn't know this. I just looked this up randomly because I was curious how many Proud Boys there are because you hear so much about it. It's at most, the highest number I could find was 6,000. Mm -hmm. The election seems to split about 50-50. If you assume kids mostly that didn't, that are under 18 probably agree with their parents. You're looking at like 150 million Democrats and 150 million Republicans, right? Yeah. But so many Democrats will just say that everyone who's a Republican is a racist Proud Boy. And, and so many people on the right will just say that the left is full of authoritarian socialists who want to censor us and they want to limit our freedoms to the most degree possible, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, this just isn't true. Like you're you're weaponizing the worst part of the other side or what you think is the worst part of the other side. But actually like most of the people on the other side are just exactly like you. Yep. And like you agree on 98% of things. So it's interesting to see that this, the fat tails or not the fat tails, sorry, the far away tails yeah. get like so much coverage. I see this on Twitter too. People will be like, oh yeah, like people are outraged. <laughs> and you look at their source and it's three, three tweets. Three tweets. Like there's 300 million people in the US. You found three random people with no credentials who are upset by this. And your headline is 
people are furious. It, it all ties into like, what we've talked about. What is the incentive structure of the person writing that headline? Get yeah, clicks. Yeah. If you write three people are outraged, you just destroy the value of that article to advertisers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, I, this hasn't come through. My bias yeah. is just hopefully to people who listen to us, I'm just trying to get the hate out of you a little bit yeah. to like not caricature the other side or demonize the other side because mm -hmm. I, I think that's like the biggest weakness in our society. Uh, there's a great quote from some president, I think it was, who just says, if someone disagrees with you on 20% of policy, they're not your enemy. They're 80% your ally. Mm -hmm. And like now you just have to have a dialogue about the other 20%. But if you think that anybody who disagrees with you on 20% of things is your enemy to be hated and vilified, you can't possibly come across the aisle to like inform each other or yeah. have a compromise. Well, you know what I think is even perhaps an even bigger problem, and it occurred to me as we spoke to Vosh, we spent an hour on the definition of the word racism and uh, we we danced around it never really got to it we didn't change his mind he didn't change ours and i don't think any of the audience minds changed hopefully yep. they enjoyed the exchange yeah, yeah um i would propose that if we speak again we recognize that it what it's like a useless line not because we're not going to agree but because it just heart disease is the problem remember 30 yeah, percent of people yeah, yeah, are dying yeah. of heart disease 20 percent are dying of cancer like like this the fact that we like disagree here is so inconsequential because if you tell me, hey, I want to get more clean water, better. So it's like I'm on board. Like I prefer you didn't call people who disagree with you racist. But like we're going to want so many of similar things yeah. if we can just now we will diverge because what you will say at some point is I want I want quotas on hiring and I want this many people. And, uh, you know, it matters. The the gender and the the color of your senator is is important. And I eventually we will disagree. Sure, but we could get a lot done <laughs> before we get to to some of those points. And I was just like, yeah, if we if we speak again, I'd like it if the word racism just never came up. <laughs> you know, yeah. like what a, what a silly waste of time. Um, given oh, interesting. I have the exact opposite. I want to rehash it. Well, I feel that like well, we, if, I feel like we started too far down the finish line. I feel like the. I, if I could do it again, I'd start by saying, let's define Republican. What do we get? Let's define racist. So what what is the victory if we get that? So now he says that fewer people are racists? Uh, well, we've talked about this. If you misdiagnose a problem, I think you're going to come up with different solutions. So if you if actually we had 150 million racist people in the country, you'd, mm -hmm. you'd want a solution for that, right? But if you think that that's not the case, then you don't focus on it. You can focus on solving something else. So like if you think that police are killing a certain race in a disproportionate amount relative to the amount of crime they commit, you'll want to do racial training for police. If you think that crime falls roughly in line with who's committing crime, you'll do different training. Instead yeah, of doing yeah. racial bias training, you'll do uh, some sort of training that gets people just in general yeah, to yeah. not pull the trigger. So I actually think you're... Yeah, what, if you misdefine but, the problem, you're going to have a different solution. Let's play this game. Uh, police killed... 1,200 people a year. Okay, let's go back to the chart. Oh, <laughs> you no, know? Sure. Like, okay, let's, and if you want to do heart disease, okay, like, let's say it's it's predominantly black. Like, I'm down for most solutions that, like, if they, if it 80% helps the black community and only 20%, I don't care. You oh, know? Me like, too. What I'm saying is if you, if you are wrong and you focus on racial bias training when it's not caused by racism, you won't solve whatever problem you're trying to solve. Yes, but perhaps we could even just reorient towards a larger problem problem yeah and we sure. could agree that like, especially because i actually would bet that heart disease uh and and obesity probably negatively infects the poor more than the wealthy which, which so is correlated with a yeah, pie yeah. chart that uh affects black people at a higher percentage than their 13 percent of the population 
you could probably still be like, listen, this is the one. Yeah. It's heart disease. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is that that there's a. Selling sugar is racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah, that, that's a that's a fun route to go down. Do you have anything else before we go to questions? Uh, I have a lot. Let me see if there's any. I mean, most of it can probably wait because, it, it, like I said, it's not we've, time we've, sensitive. We've been backed up for a while. Uh, there's one cool one that I'll just bring up because we've done so much that uh, is about politics or whatever. There was the first no-kill lab-grown meat. I saw that, man. In Singapore. So I saw that. We Charlie and I have a hypothesis, which is that in 300 years, factory farming is going to be looked at in the same way we look at slavery, which is that once economically, you don't have to do factory farming. And I'm not saying eating meat. I'm saying factory farming, slaughterhouses. All of a sudden, people will acknowledge that treating animals that way is uh, immoral. A moral abomination. Yeah. So how do you get there? Well, you kind of need technological advancements because it seems like just shouting about this doesn't do anything. Singapore can grow meat in a lab and they're selling it. So they've, they've gone through trials. They've decided it's healthy for human consumption. So it's a huge, that's a huge so, deal. So what's interesting is that um, there's, there's two kinds of scientists. I forget. There's the Teslas, I believe, that like first time zero to one breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Edisons who are like, they make a commercial and yep. the Edisons make all the money. Yep. <laughs> um, but we've already done this. We've already made lab grow meat. It could happen. But it was like $300,000 a patty. Yep. This is in the line of the Edison, which is like it's break even for an expensive burger. But like you could get this burger. I could get this burger. Like it's, it's still too expensive to be an actual solution. Mm -hmm. But what it means is that an actual solution is in sight. Once you can get the once you can get the cost how expensive it, was the patty? It's uh, like it, $30 an ounce or something. Yeah, it puts you at like a premium steakhouse. I would do it in a heartbeat. I miss. <laughs> I miss. I would do it too, but you're, you're looking at uh, such a small part of the population. I mean, yes. even we couldn't yes. afford to eat it every day. Mm -hmm. well, I could, uh, uh, to be fair, I can eat a premium steakhouse every day. Not if it's, what would you say, $50 an ounce? Well, sorry. I thought, I said it was 30 an ounce, and then you said, yeah, it's a premium steakhouse. No, no, sorry, 30 an ounce. So like if you're eating, let's say you'd want to eat 16 ounces of it a day. That's a lot of money. What does that break down to? That's like 500 bucks a day. 30 times. Yeah, yeah. That's quite 30 times 16. That's, it's that's, a lot for food. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, you could do it on a, for a special occasion. Yeah. But what you're looking for is for it to become McDonald's eventually. Like mm -hmm. you, because the, the slaughterhouses can already be avoided with grass fed, pasture raised. Now you get into a gray area where honestly, like I'm not, I'm not going to call that today slavery. I think it's up in the air to discuss. The easy one for me is like the, uh, they're crying in pain as they're slammed <laughs> together and they're yeah. dehydrated and they're just miserable. That is to that's the cheapest meat. So to, if you want to replace slaughterhouses, you need to get all the way down to the lowest cost. Yeah, because otherwise you'll get a split where the top one percent. Uh, you're just saving the grass-fed beef. Yeah, exactly. Is like, now the, okay. Let's say that this is affordable every day for the top one percent. So you're just replacing people who are already probably getting grass-fed free-range beef. Yeah. Uh, but we might be a decade away from from the McDonald's dollar hamburger mm -hmm. being lab grown, at which point there's no reason to defend the slaughterhouse. And once you don't have to defend the slaughterhouse, you can get rid of the slaughterhouse. You yeah, know what I mean? And then you can judge everyone who used to. Yeah, yeah. And then and you we just can... look back at <laughs> your great grandpa. And have a great Instagram purge of all the of all the, <laughs> yeah. the meat photos that people posted. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's awesome. The fact that it's for sale. And, and it also means that uh, to some extent they think that it's safe. Yeah. Consumption. So it's cool. That's going to be great. I'm excited for that. I'm going to bulk up, baby. Oh, I'm man, getting it wait. back. I'm getting it back. <laughs> so excited for it. Anything else you wanted to do? Uh, no. Well, do we have YouTube questions or just Patreon questions? Uh, we have a handful of YouTube questions. Cool. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it.
Oh, by the way, I'll do I'll do a little little Patreon CTA. There you go. Um, you guys make it happen. I got it. Like we've we've broke things down. We've had sponsors, and we appreciate them a ton. Uh, Justin is very much funded by our patrons. So if you guys enjoy this and you want us to do more of it, please consider becoming a patron. Still today, we are answering every question. It's getting to be a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know how long that's going to be the case, but it's still. Uh, it's still the case. So if you're a patron and you write a question in there, we will get to it and yeah. we'll answer it in a Q&A that is exclusive to patrons. And these are becoming longer and longer. That's what I was going to say. We're, so we'll, we'll probably shoot an hour of questions that are only available. It's Patreon questions that are only available to patrons. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's probably an extra hour at this point. And I think that. there's good value in there because you're able to ask specific questions. Whereas, you know, we talk about like politics and these broad, yeah, uh, hopefully touches everybody on the podcast. We'll skip certain questions if they're specific to something that we don't think is universally mm -hmm. uh, applicable to the whole audience. But if it's something you're interested in, this is a chance. So we basically have another podcast on our Patreon if you want to check it out. And I think in many ways, it's just as good as the stuff that we normally talk about. So if you want to check that out, please, again, consider joining Patreon. Patreon and thank you to our patrons. Awesome. First one is over the past few years, I've built my network and made a lot of friends and other loose connections with people. Recently, I've had to connect a lot of people and make introductions, but they've turned painfully awkward very quickly because they don't have anything to talk about. How can you introduce people in a way that stimulates conversation and could lead mm. to a friendship between the two people you introduced? Do you want to take this one? Well, I mean, the first thing I think of is, are you introducing them because you think they could be friends or because someone has requested an introduction or just because mm -hmm. they're your friends? Because like, certainly I have friends that I wouldn't necessarily try to force to be friends. You know what I mean? Like I have different friend groups so i'd be curious what the catalyst is for the introduction yeah if it's like i think you guys would get along and something's just going awry here that you're not clicking or if it's like oh, i'm gonna introduce my surfer friend to my dungeons and dragons friend and then i can't figure out why they get along yeah get along. so i don't know that this answers the question directly but i would like when we were in bars and clubs there was always the idea that you wanted to like mc your friend on the way in because it looks good to you and it lets him, you know, immediately integrate into a group. So like, mm -hmm. you walk to me, I'm like, this is my friend, Ben. He's the man. And like, depending on the audience, I'll read the room. I'll be like, he's about to have a cage fight in a mm -hmm. month. He's been training like his ass off. But don't worry, he's not going to hurt you guys. We're safe. You know, like, well, this was this is a little bit different. So you're you're saying we're in bars and clubs and we had a rule that was whoever initiates a conversation, uh, people who come in can't try to like steal the girl that that guy's interested in mm -hmm. or the friend that that guy's interested in mostly it was girls mm -hmm. because we saw a lot of guy friend groups with just like fight over female attention yeah. and they just look everybody looks like shit so what you're saying is i would walk in you would hype me up because mm -hmm. you'd been talking to the group you'd establish yourself as a cool person and then i would respect the fact that i wasn't trying to <laughs> whatever your like goal was with this yeah. group my job was not to shit on it but to help you mm -hmm. so that's why that work well, like so, so i'm just saying like when it comes to introducing people at least the introduct the literal introduction of it uh can you know you hype need to talk up. to him about hype them both up yeah like you know what i mean like give them and give them a conversational thread that is going to be interesting to both of them well also yeah build the bridge if i do yeah. let's say i do have a dungeons and dragons friend and i have a surfer friend and the surfer friend looks like a meathead or maybe a stoner but they both love the game of thrones tv show like give them that. Yeah, yeah. you bridge. know, like I know he looks like a male model, but deep down he's a complete he's nerd a at nerd heart. Like, like yeah. he's got his, you know, D20 in his pocket right now or like whatever. Um, And and you're giving them that initial thing so that whatever the thin slice stereotype, I can't be friends with this person is hopefully cut through. Does that answer the question mostly or am I missing an element? 
I felt like this had more to do with business connections. Okay, can you can you go back and just yep. cover that part? So they said, over the past few years, I've built my network and made a lot of friends and other loose connections with people. Recently, I've had to connect a lot of people and make introductions, but they've turned painfully awkward very quick. Well, I would say, yeah, no, it's the same. It's the same principle, though. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't do a win lose introduction. First of all, so like if someone hit me up and was like, "Hey, uh, my friend has a YouTube channel, and I would love for you to help him," but this is like a loose acquaintance. Like if a yeah. if a close friend hit me up, I'm like, "Yeah, I don't care how big this person's channel is." But someone I met once at a networking event, it's like, "Hey, I really think this would be great for you to talk to this guy yeah. about YouTube." And the guy has six subscribers. It's like this isn't great for me. You're mm-hmm. trying to uh, use my time to make this other person like you or benefit or whatever, but you're you're lying and masking it as if it's good for both of us. Yeah. In that case, they're better off just being like, hey, can you do me a favor? That's the first thing is I think I've had people mask this as like, this is a win-win. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's yeah. a win-lose. Uh, so just say that. But then the second thing is if you do focus on only making win-win just, introductions. Well, just for that, and you can just ask me like, hey, there's this guy I know. Do you want me to introduce you? He blah 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 is is it is a great first step to all of this because there's been times where i've been like no not really oh everyone i know that makes uh good money hates non-checked introductions yes they hate it everybody i know is like thank you for checking with me yeah yes or thank you for checking with me so check but the biggest way to piss people off is to introduce them to somebody without clearing it with them first yeah uh but then the second thing is let's say it is a win-win spell out why it's a win-win you know what i mean so be like hey i want you guys to talk do you want to talk to this guy here's why I think it would be great for you. Yeah, I'll give you an, an example, email, and this is, could just as easily be an introduction. I think the checking is actually probably the biggest piece as, as I reflect on my own life. When people have dropped me those emails, we're like, yo, you, I'm like, mother. Oh, no, no, yes, but check, but when you check, it's like, hey, Charlie, uh, do you want to talk to my buddy? He, he's a copywriter. Explain I know that you've why mentioned, yeah. win-win. I know you've been mentioning that you got this old, this old sales page for Charisma University. I saw him do it. He got this amazing thing. Yeah, I like yeah, Great. Yeah, put me in touch. And then in the email. He's struggling on YouTube, but he's killing it in the podcast game. Yeah. And I was thinking maybe you could give him some YouTube advice. He could give you some podcast advice. Like exactly. put that in your checking email. And then going back both to, people. to the first thing, and now you're emceeing both people. You go, yo, guys, Charlie, meet Kevin. Kevin is a badass podcaster. He's gotten over 30 million followers and has a really cool method for launching podcasts. Uh, Kevin, Charlie's killing it in the YouTube game you know, da, 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 and can, I think can probably help you a ton. I'll leave you guys to it now. Hopefully you guys get a chance to get on call. And like that, that's what the email reads like, but that's also what the conversation. That's that's you like pre-checking. That's also what it looks like. I get the sense that it's the things that we said in the middle, which technically come first, which is the checking and the vetting to see that this is a win-win and spelling it out. And when you do that, it's like the words are easy at that point. Yeah, even when it is a good connection and people say, yes, I would like to talk to them. Almost always they go, appreciate you checking. Yes. Like no one likes being CC'd on an email they're not expecting with an intro. And they're just like, well, now I got to deal with this. Yeah, I'd love to take 15 <laughs> minutes and explain Especially to you how my industry works. The more successful yeah. they are, the more protective they're going to be of their time. Yeah. Cool. Next is, I wanted to say that I've really been enjoying your podcast. It's the best thing I found in 2020. Yes. <laughs> More interesting than what you discuss, however, is how you discuss it. I disagree with many conclusions, but I deeply admire how you guys reach them. How would you describe your manner of thinking? What does that process entail? And how can others begin to think similarly? Good question, man. I try to do thought experiments with a lot of the stuff. And I'm, I'm presuming what you're asking about is like, I'll think differently about meat or something. So there's a handful of tenets and I'm going to be coming up with them, not in the best order, but I'll try to throw them all in there. One is to recognize that my own desires poison my ability to see the truth. 
So I separate honesty from integrity. So when we had our first conversation about whether meat eating was good, what we started with was like, we don't have to stop. <laughs> like you're allowed to continue this, but like, let's get to the bottom of this. Yep. Um, and in other ways I do this. So with the business, it's like, oh, should we launch this product or not? It's like, pretend that we both have a hundred million dollars in the bank right now. What do we do about this product? It's usually like, I'm too lazy. I don't want to do anything. And yeah. I just, you know. <laughs> but but for instance, like a mental exercise, like what if I had a hundred million dollars? So I was like, I would do a YouTube video. Yeah twice a year as I felt like it yeah and then you go okay well I don't so I'm gonna do one a month mm -hmm. instead of what I have been doing which is burning myself out doing four a month or whatever mm -hmm. so you don't you don't have to do what you would do with a hundred million dollars it's just a useful thought exercise it separates it separates the pursuit of truth from your baked in interest which is very very useful for getting to the truth yeah and you can even say yeah because then you just say be honest you say okay I'm going to do less videos than I'm currently doing but more than I would if I had $100 million mm -hmm. because I want to grow the business. And, and now you're more honest about your uh, motivations. Sure. Take an ethical one, which is you, you it easier. Like when people start with meeting, they go, well, it doesn't really, you know, animals don't feel, they just have all these ridiculous things. And, and then you try to find counterexamples and always pursue principles. I think what you'll see with me when I talk to people and part of the reason that some of our uh, commenters, I think, misunderstand the conversations that we have is that my questions to someone are not intended to, like, you know, the, 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 sorry, I'm all over the place. The common criticism is that you're, these are just edge cases. But what I'm trying to do are establish principles, which is, which is, for instance, in the case of Vosh, what is racism and how far are you willing to take it? If it is the case that racism is an unequal outcome by the outcome of by color of people's skin and supporting a policy that creates that makes one racist, uh, is my continued support of the NBA racist against white people? Or is my continued support of the SAT racist against white people in favor of Asian people? So I like, I'm trying to understand how far someone's principle goes and almost always I'll find that it breaks. And what you see is that people do not reason from principles. They start with the conclusion and then backwards concoct a set of principles that yeah. they really don't actually follow. So I can try I, to go ahead. I try to simple, make this. Yeah, I'm all over the place. So uh, I think a similar mindset that I have, which is also about principles, is uh, if this were true, mm. what would it imply mm -hmm. about other things? Yes. And so, for instance, if it is true that the U.S. business system is racist because m m less than 13 percent of CEOs are black and that automatically means that it's because of racism then the fact that more than 13 percent of the nba is black would also mean racism so there's a sense of like if this was true what else would follow to be true mm -hmm. and then if you can find cases that you disagree with or that the uh, don't seem to hold up then you go okay well then my first conclusion is not true. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a, an accurate way to assess what's happening. So that's, I think, what you mean by principles. Yes. What you mean by principles is, if this is the case, that because of X, then Y, what else would have to follow? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and and I think if you look at the way that we think through things, that that is a big one. Another one is to try to, and, and to get to a place of equanimity before and during the interaction, which is not always, it's easier on the podcast because we're sitting here calm, but I'm not, I'm not always mm -hmm. chilled about these sorts of things. So uh, 
separating honesty from integrity helps there, knowing that you're not going to be lampooned, allowing for your past behavior to be hypocritical, and in fact, expecting much of what you did in the past to be hypocritical. Uh, another big thing is to try not to nail anyone or yourself to a statement that they made. There are cases where people move the goalposts and they should be called out. Mm. But there are other times where it's like, ah, you said, and if you jam them into what they said, now the conversation gets stuck of them defending this thing they really don't believe. So instead, what I, for instance, with this racist thing with Vosh, I actually started the conversation was off. I actually don't think you believe this is what I said. But like you have said that anyone who votes Republican is racist. I, I don't think that's what you said. He's like, oh no, I, I do. I was like, okay, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. we can start there, but I didn't. The point wasn't to put him on a cross for something unless yes. he was going to truly believe it and defend volunteer it. to be there. Yes. To say, no, I want to be, I want to be on the hook for saying this. Yes. Yes. So I try to let people like draw their own line in the sand and we go like, that's the line you want? Like you're a hundred percent sure. And only then do we begin the discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes we screw this up just because the conversation can be muddy. Um, anything else that that sort of comes up? I'm just trying to think of examples of things that we've talked about in terms of politics and propaganda. And we did, you know, ethical meet and people raised a number of issues. And I think it was a lot of what you said. If this were true, then what else would I expect? You know, if... Well, I'm also, I mean, I try to be open-minded. So like, for instance, I miss eating meat. Tim Ferriss uh, sent out an email about this Maui company of ethical deer. And I was like, oh, sick. They purposefully are, they, they're marketed to me. You know what I mean? They're like four people that want to eat meat without feeling bad about it. And so I was like, oh man, this is amazing. I'm going to do this. And we talked about it on the podcast and people in the comments raised a bunch of points. I think most of them were uh, not persuasive, but one of them was. And so I canceled my subscription for that product. Like there's, I try not to be married to something mm -hmm. versus if I was like, if I'm immovable on this, then I can't possibly in good faith consume the arguments. Sure. But so what someone did was actually, they did what I was saying in the other point. They were like, well, if the goal was to do population control, they would do it like they do it with dogs. Yeah. And they would just do the sterilization. They wouldn't kill them. We don't eat dogs when there's an overpopulation problem. And I was like, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> so like clearly the goal isn't just that. The goal is also to eat the deer. And then that was persuasive. So I, but yeah, so I try to... Uh, enter in with the good faith that I'd want someone else to have. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to die by my uh, part in the debate, if yeah. that makes sense. And there's a tremendous, I think you have to really be willing to, and I'm not always good at this, to forgive yourself and other people their hypocrisy, which I've mentioned in the past, which is like, oh, my whole life I've been doing this really bad thing. And if I follow this to its logical conclusion, I will have to accept that and you know, perhaps one day even change mm -hmm. or live out of integrity for a while because I'm too weak to give up this thing that I that I enjoy. Um, another aspect of it is uh, holding different levels of evidence with different certainty. So at the base of it, it's like I have my literal real-time experience of which I am, I exist. Of that, I'm at 100. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's the only 100 though. Like I woke up this morning, I could I could be in a dream. You know what I mean? I could be hypnotized right now. Like everything gets uh, decreased as you get all the way up to some study that I read sometime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and then there's the study that I read in depth and that that I have anecdotal experience. And so I try to to understand when I'm making an argument, 
where my degree of certainty is in my evidence. And this is why I shy away from arguments about policy, because all it takes to disrupt my understanding of policy is a different article that refutes that first article. Um, so I'm most interested in things that come from my experience, and I, I often value anecdotes over some study that I read a summary of in Newsweek because I truly believe my anecdotes matter more than my understanding of a study that I read in yeah. Newsweek. Funny enough, I actually think as I'm running through all the examples, it just comes down to, to being principled and asking if this is true, then what else would be mm -hmm. true? And if the person doesn't hold that belief, then what they're saying is their motivation isn't. Because I'm even thinking of like people who are saying, oh, we should tax anyone who makes over a million dollars a year mm -hmm. because they make 10 times more than I do. It's like, okay, how much should we tax them? We should tax them 50%. Okay, do you give your money, do you give 50% of your money to people who make 10% of what you make? Because those people are exist also. No, well, they're not in the country, they say. Uh, no, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, like that's my thought. He's just yeah, saying, yeah. what's my thought? That's my thought process. Mm -hmm. Like if you believe this, then you would be doing this. Well, let's walk it down a level. And then they respond with, oh, well, I only want to do this within the country. And you go, okay, that's interesting. Why? <laughs> well, I think that a country should represent the people who live in it. Okay, interesting. Do you think that a city or a neighborhood should represent the people who live in it? So like, could the city of Santa Monica vote to not give tax money to Compton, say for instance, or the rest of America? They go, they'll say no. And you go, well, why? Why is your invisible barrier acceptable, but mine isn't? Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, who knows what they'll say, but it, it, it just breaks. You yeah. know what I mean? Like invisible barriers, Yours being uh, more more moral than mine fall apart <laughs> very quickly unless the argument is that uh, I'm I have an expansive invisible barrier and yours is contracted and mine isn't perfect but it's better which seems to be like a solid argument. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's most of it. Um, there was one other one that you had mentioned prior to that one that that I thought was interesting. Doesn't matter. We got we got most of it. Hope that helps. Justin, do you see anything that we haven't brought up? I mean, you watch us you watch <laughs> yeah. us discuss and debate things all the time. What strategies do you see? I think um, something commendable is that the smarter you get, or I guess I should say like the more knowledge you have, the more difficult it is to be persuaded. But I think you guys both do a pretty good job keeping an open mind. Interesting. Um, even if the argument might seem rudimentary and you might have had it a million times i feel like you still go through that process of questioning like the same way for everybody it's interesting and and you brought that up which appreciate is good it. um i appreciate it thank you yeah. one of the things that i try to do and again i i, I don't do all of this 100 percent. i do this only on the podcast <laughs> then i'm oh, a different yeah. person in real life but uh to recognize that so there was a point in my life where i was deep into um the arguments for atheism for instance and I could, uh, whatever argument was say the watchmaker argument for God, I like knew how to dismantle it. Yep. If somebody comes to me with a watchmaker argument for God, I actually don't know that right now today I could take it apart. So what I have is a memory of a time that I could take it apart. And I try to recognize that like, look, if I can't do it, then I can't do it. Yeah. And so I try to like, the, the intensity with which I hold something is going to reflect my ability to actually do address it in the moment and not like oh no i studied this 10 years ago and i knew how to address it yeah um the other thing i try to do i just thought of um is i try to google the other side of the argument mm -hmm. so like if i think that uh police brutality is an issue because this many people are getting killed and it's like 
it's not 13% of black people. It's more than 13% of black people. I will Google and I will say like, why are police not racist? Uh, and you'll see that there are arguments. You don't have to find them persuasive, but at least you know them. Mm -hmm. uh, Christopher Hitchens is my absolute, <laughs> one of my favorite debaters for this because he's talking to some guy and the guy's talking. He goes, you seem like the kind of person who doesn't know the counter argument <laughs> to your arguments. Like you seem like the per kind of person who's never heard this before. Mm -hmm. And basically what Christopher Hitchens was saying is like, I know everything you're going to say. I've already thought about it beforehand. And I have a response where I either agree with you or disagree with you that I came up with over the course of 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like you're trying to process real time why mm -hmm. I'm right or why I'm wrong. I've had this conversation in my head. And when I reached a point where I felt like I was wrong, I either went and like did soul searching and changed my mind or I went and looked up if the data I was I had was right or not. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just very impressed by that, basically that burn, uh, because he had not reached his conclusions because of how he was raised, but because of having like sword on sword debates in his mind. Mm -hmm. And that's not perfect because you're going to have your own biases that are going to make one side argue better in your head than the other. But at least you go through the exercise. And hopefully if you're open minded, you really can change your own mind about things. I, I have. I've flip flopped just like alone in my apartment from looking up things flip-flopping is great flip-flopping is important i think yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's a that's a great sign hopefully you've changed your mind about important things recently <laughs> um gosh you said one other thing that that i was reminded of my brain is not is not uh clicking right now though so it doesn't matter <laughs> we'll move along next is hi charlie and ben as you may have noticed there has been a rise in conspiracy thinking due to the covid pandemic my girlfriend is a medical student. Recently, her sister came by to ask her what she has learned about vaccines during her studies. It turns out she has recently been digging into anti-vax websites on the internet. I remember I was going to say no. Go ahead. It resulted in a heated discussion between the three of us. Today, her sister has started messaging various claims on the dangers of vaccination and problems with the corona tests in her family group chat, again leading to heated discussions. My girlfriend and I are worried that she will radicalize more and that this will have a negative impact on her mental health and on the family. How would you recommend dealing with this situation? So what I was going to say is that be be careful for words that make pe uh, people obviously stupid and obviously wrong. Those words are flat earther, anti-vaxxer, Nazi, um, socialist in some circles. These are labels that you can apply to people to not address their arguments. Mm. Here's my thing. If, you, if you're girlfriend is deep into medical research and has an opinion on vaccines that is not anti-vax, fine. If you are not, but you are certain that anti-vaxxers are wrong, I would encourage you to ease up off that belief in the same way that I would encourage you to ease up off the off of uh, thinking the flat earthers are dumb. If you can't convincingly explain why the earth is in fact not flat and address their first level round of criticisms. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess the, the deeper point here, uh, re relating back to the first point is don't let a label like conspiracy, um, conspiracy, you know, the nine 11 conspiracy. Oh, therefore it's not true. Like you, you can just write so many things off with certain labels, be aware of what those labels are and don't allow yourself to, to buy into it. Now, for the sake of this argument, let's presume that, uh, anti-vaxxing is incorrect or she has an unnuanced view of it or whatever. Um, I actually don't know that that's the case. I haven't looked into it, so I don't have a strong opinion. I've gotten my vaccines. Um, so I guess we can answer the question as is. Sorry, but her sister is not able to convince her of this? Like they, they discuss this and her sister finds her medical student sister unpersuasive? Um, I guess so. So, so they just had a heated discussion. Yeah, so here's, get down to values. You, you share the same values. 
right? So so you're you're talking up here, and I think things can get tense, and then you get two sides, and you get Republicans and Democrats, and they'll never they'll never come together. Go down to values. This is your sister. And I think what you say is, it sounds to me like what you want to do is be healthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it sounds to me like you want to be healthy and you want everyone in the world to be as healthy as they can. And you mm-hmm. want your kids to be healthy. So do I. So, like, let's just understand that, like, even if you vehemently think I'm wrong, like, I really want you and your family to be healthy. And I recognize that you really want you and your family to be healthy. That will allow us to hopefully disagree on the data without impugning the other one's intent, whether we do it uh, overtly or covertly, which is kind of what happens. Like you become this black sheep, crazy person. Um, What you have is someone who disagrees with you that thinks that they're doing the right thing for their family and their country though. Uh, I think that that will help. And then I think ask them, instead of foisting your view, say, what was it that you found most persuasive? Hmm. Like, Show show me like the moment where you went from someone who received their vaccines and has never had measles, mumps, or rubella <laughs> to the moment where you became concerned. Well, another another actually going back to the other question, but for this one, another good like uh, question to ask when you're having a conversation with someone is like, what would have to be true for mm-hmm. you to be in favor of the vaccine? Yeah, and it, if the answer is nothing, it's like, okay, this is a this is a belief at this point. Yeah, this yeah. isn't like a thing that's based on thought. So there's no point in us discussing it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There has to be something. Like what would convince you? And then just whatever the thing is, that the earth was round, that the earth was flat, that the vaccines were safe, that vaccines were dangerous. Yeah. Like each of you should have an answer to that. Like, oh, well, if you showed me that a statistically significant number of people who get vaccinated get autism, that would make me wary of vaccines. What about you? Okay, well, if you could yeah. show me that there's no correlation with vaccines and autism, then yeah, I guess I would be a uh, proponent of vaccines. It's like, okay, now and let's it's just reasonable find to, sources of yeah. data that we both agree with. Yeah, and we can we can dispute the data. We can say, I don't trust this particular source, but... Sure, if one of you wants to trust yeah. the CDC and the other one doesn't, has a different data source, like, okay. Okay, now let's get down to why, day. though. We can, we, can, we can get down to why. The other thing that I think, especially in families that you can do, is um, I love fighting. And I, I will not do this unless I actually want to make peace, which I usually don't. I'm like enjoying <laughs> the, the disagreement. But like my dad at one point when we're talking or frequently, you know, I'll tell him that his uh, his orange man bad view of Donald Trump is to me doesn't make any sense. Like I, I say this things that I say on the podcast. Oh, do you know? How do you know what you know? Like you're so fr- I've known for ages. He's a cra- he just knows. Right. And and he'll say in in semi serious. Yes, you are truly lost. You are the problem with this country. And I go, hold on. You mean the kid that you raised for 18 years who donates a huge chunk of his money to charity and tries to convince you to do the same, who stopped eating meat and ruins Thanksgiving every year by, you know, with his vegetarian. This is, uh, that guy is the problem? Your spawn? The one that you made? Like, you can lean on the relationship and the history of care and love that uh, that is in there at, in times where it gets heated. Um and especially if it's like your dad, you just get to blame them for, you're like, whatever I am, you did. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, but for sister, that's not necessarily helpful. No, but if she's older, be like, this is all because of you. <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is just like, yeah, what would make you, what convince you that uh, vaccines are bad? What, if anything, will convince you that vaccines aren't bad? Mm-hmm. And then go from there. Yep. Cool. Nice. Last one is, uh, should I date someone poorer than me? Some context. <laughs> 
I am in a relationship with the dude for six months now, and he's been inspired by me to go back to study to be a teacher next year, which is lovely, and I'm happy for him. But I work and have accumulated savings for a house while he has, I think, 10% of my savings and will now be in debt with his studies, plus be a poor student for a few years. I am 28 female, and I guess not looking to have a kid anytime soon, um, but this will mean that I'm set back four to five years if he won't be earning enough to support kids for a while. Although I guess I will have saved even more to support my kids by then. Mm -hmm. How much does love surpass finances? Uh, what kind of questions should I ask myself to figure out if I will still be happy and not resentful three years later? Yeah, uh, there's no there's no one size fits all, right? Like, should I marry someone poor than me? I don't know. Should like <laughs> that would very much depend on yeah, how much do you value money yeah. and how much what does money mean to you? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, how important is uh, yeah? What I think I think a handful of words that you should. Uh, write down and think about or journal on like financial stability what does that mean concretely is that a hundred thousand dollars in the bank is that my husband earns more than me like um you might even want to write down like um a good partner like what is a good partner and i'm sure you're gonna have like cares about me right oh he does like does this does this and you might if you're being honest with yourself have earns more and provides for the family um get clear your your internal expectations for life, a husband, a relationship, et cetera. But can I, can I just say, uh, you can like whatever you like. Mm -hmm. You can literally like whatever you like. You can refuse to sleep with people who are over five feet tall mm -hmm. or <laughs> under seven feet tall. Yeah. Like you can have the most obscure, as long as it's consenting adults. So yeah, if you're a woman or if you're a man and you decide that making more money than you matters, it's not evil to filter for that mm -hmm. you know what i mean i don't know that it's a recipe to be happy or not that's for your self-exploration is like you can certainly pursue things that will not satisfy you mm -hmm. uh, but that is the thing i would soul search about yeah but i think you have permission to make any list you want <laughs> and then filter for it as long as you just accept that it might take a little while to find mm -hmm. and with regards to money i think it's you know you've mentioned if somebody asked me like hey i have this rule like nobody under seven feet, what I would be like is consider that you would be you could be surprised. Mm -hmm. I actually think money is an interesting one, particularly from a woman in our society who is 28 and is thinking of having a family where it's like, look, this isn't nothing that like financial hardship is, I think, one of the top reasons that marriage or at least the top reported reason that marriages break apart. Um, so it's good of you to be questioning this think get your internal stuff onto the page about what stability means and about what it means and like um does it make me less attracted and be honest because you're not probably not going to like a lot of the answers that mm. you see yeah you'll think they, they you'll think poorly on you yeah you'll, you'll be like i don't like to write that i am less attracted to him as a result of this but i am um get them out and i know this is going to be tough but fuck it you guys are thinking of getting married uh once you've been honest about that sit down with them and talk and be like look uh I got it like, here's me coming to the table with my messed up stuff. Now you can get mad at it, but it is. I didn't choose any of this. Like yeah. this is just, this just but is the case. Don't, it's not that he's not a man because he doesn't make money. It's just that Maybe she, you, you uh, have a belief. I have sense. these, yeah, yeah. These things are not true of the world. Yes. They are true of me. Right. So like, you could say like, if you pursue this teaching thing and put yourself in debt, I will be less attracted to you. But I think, I, yeah. But it's not that, you will be less attractive. Mm -hmm. It's not that you'll be a loser. Yes, these things aren't true about it's, you. They're true about It's just me, me yeah. I. That's a lot of, of I. Yes. <laughs> if you go back to school for this, 
it makes me whatever. Yes. And if he gets upset or defensive or angry, it's like, you got to recognize, I don't, I didn't choose any of these. Yeah. Like these exist inside of me and I want, cause I love you to share them with you. And also what that will allow you to do is be like, tell me about your plans. Like, and be honest with me. Are you ambitious? Like, mm-hmm. is, is this a step and like you're, you're driven to earn and provide, which kind of matches. And I could, I could take a three years of like less earning for a guy that is, it cares deeply about this. Or are you like, I just want a cabin in the woods and my small income and a small pension and like the kids will live off the land and like it like and someone <laughs> could be very happy like that. Yes. But I don't know if it's you. Yes. So and so I think um if you if you spend some time up front, reveal to yourself your own inner thought processes and your own beliefs about marriage, finances, what is appropriate, bring them to him in a way that is loving, um, that pre-frames the conversation as like, I want to talk to you about this because I care about you, because I want this to work, and but also because I don't want to resent you down the line. And quite frankly, please don't get mad because I didn't, I'm not choosing any yeah. of this. This stuff is like, it just is inside of me. No, um, the short and very unhelpful answer is that there's a woman who will marry a guy that makes 10% of what she makes and they'll be very happy together mm-hmm. and she won't resent him. And there's a woman who will marry a guy that makes 10% of what she makes and it will cause issues down the line, and eventually they'll divorce. Yeah. And I don't know which one you are. And what you want to do is figure that out before you get married yeah, yeah, yeah. as best you can. So that's that's the point of this conversation. Um, and quite frankly- well, end of the self-exploration. Yeah. Like, I think the other thing that everybody realizes is like, you can search forever for the perfect person, but also there's a sense of like, I'm not the perfect friend to you necessarily, but we've been great friends for 17 years or 18 years. So yeah, like- money making money is on your list it'd be really nice for you to try to figure out if it's the second most important thing on your list or the 19th yeah and to get honest with that and if he has the other 18 and it's 19th then you're fine and if it's the second most important thing to you you are in trouble the other real dangers are covert contracts like let's say that you know you just assume that he's going to take a step back financially to go to school but he's going to leapfrog ahead in his mid and late 30s and you're just kind of banking on that but you don't talk to him that is a recipe for resentment Mm -hmm. um if he doesn't if he doesn't so what you don't want to do is like you want to you want to get all those contracts in your head and all those beliefs onto the page and be like look you're going to sign this now. You're going to sign up for this or agree it or not tell me, sign it, not but. sign it, but tell me where you agree, disagree, like you know, are on board, aren't on board, et cetera. So let's, let's make all of our expectations, wishes, and beliefs overt, speak about them, and then uh, it'll be much easier to make a decision yeah. about what to do. And, and maybe he's like, you know what? Ambition to me is a big question mark, but if it matters that much to you, I understand that and I will take on this burden. Like I choose to. And then hopefully like, that if he says it overtly, it will reduce resentment that he might feel of feeling driven if he just is getting passive aggressive stares from you every time we open his paycheck and it's like not enough money or something yeah. like that. The flip side, though, is you can also break up with someone you love. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever have kids. I definitely don't want kids in the near term. And if I'm dating someone, they're like, yeah, I need kids in the next year. It's like, OK, I love you mm-hmm. and we should break up. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a deal breaker for me. Needing kids near term is an instant Nothing else matters. Deal breaker. Mm-hmm. So like you decide if this is an instant deal breaker or not. Sure. Cool. That was the last one. Let's do patrons. patrons. All right, buddy. Hope that you enjoyed this. If you're a patron, hop on over to Patreon and we'll see you there. And if you want to become one, consider clicking the link in the description to check out the questions. That's it for today. Peace.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.